0: Love, Talk Radio.
1: Yeah. It's brick. What up, Red Pill? Blue Pill? You sell No, the lads radio. Tuesdays and Fridays, let's go. I present you red and blue, feelin' for you to take them both. Infection these microphones, i the virus, I need a host. I need Know a the legend, don't cross it, cause you might overdose. Release those yeah. topics from your conscience. Play the beat through stethoscope. This for my folks, the originators. Atmospheric pressure raising. Thoughts be constantly in orbit, till my pages is out of space. Cosmos, astrological, a star right in your face. Didn't plan it like Pluto, melanated the greatest race. From niggas to gods, it's just a human display. Walking in mortal, live forever. Through these songs I make, Rick Discovered this, very deep inside this continent, okay. they had to pass many courses at
0: their local colleges, the study was this not a hit. futuristic shit, 2125, and when that time
1: exists, they will rely who the messiah is, It's break the foundation with that fire spit, it's telling yoga flames, I'm on my street fighter shit, I swear I wish my ancestors they ain't find this shit, transatlantic travel, maiden voyage from their cargo pick to picking cotton and sugar cane and then refining it, trying to restore our dominance, black power and this motherfucker better know it, give them the truth, they tell me, give them more risk These black laws, yeah, you better know it better I'm nuts of a rapper, more of a poet This my open, maintain focus As we enter through the pillars of villain Truth revealing, Tuesdays and Fridays Live so you can feel it Oppressed pray every day, to hear me kill it More than just an intro This was how I'm feeling, we just left the scenes Conference, and we ain't finished building The sky is the limit, we just crashed through The city, the energy of the crystal Speak, spiritually a symphony Charged by the elements for many centuries Live bases for our ancestors, keep it feeling beef. We evoking the spirits to guard us from our enemies. I shake, I create, and I display what I made. Give it straight to the people, feel the power in waves. Black fist in the sky, but this ain't hip-hop array. Word and pressure on these culture vultures watching the It's trying to take back what's all the monumental display. Kings the only royalty around me. Come on.
2: Peace. peace, peace, peace to you and yours, peace to you and yours. Welcome to No Radio. You are now rocking with the best. Yes, this is your host for the evening for the Red Pill. Shouldn't be joined by my co host for the Blue Pill. Let me see if the brother is ready. Opening up line 347 two seven three peace welcome the ledge peace to you and yours family all right you and I rock with the best this is KTL radio this is your co host Brother Blue Pillar peace to the family peace to everybody in attendance peace to the family that's gonna be catching us in the arch on the archive. We see you we salute you all right thank you for showing up this evening and um yeah, man, this is monumental. I'm I'm actually nervous for the first time in like 10 years. You know, this is a very highly anticipated program. It's had its scheduling, scheduling conflicts, but we're finally here um, on its most auspicious date, you know what I'm saying, of 3-8-2016, the day that we actually are <clears throat> bearing witness to a solar eclipse. Uh, a new moon solar eclipse. These were the same conditions under which our brother Biggie Smalls met his demise 19 years ago in Los Angeles. There was a solar eclipse, new moon and the Haley Bop comet was passing over. When that brother mm-hmm. met his demise, the Saturday night outside of the um, Peterson Auto- automotive museum, right on mm-hmm. Losher, I've been over there plenty of times. So, May that brother's spirit continue to rise in power. And um, may his enduring you legacy, you know what I'm saying, saying. Uh, live on. You, you know, know? That's that's big. That's big. P O P P A. And we got Big Papa on tonight. So there goes the level of serendipity for you. I know, right? Indeed. Indeed, indeed. So we're here, we're here. First of all, before we even continue, family the chat room is open. If you want to go into the chat room, please uh please know that it is open and you are more than welcome to go in there and build with your brothers, drop links, you know what I mean, get the conversation going. Okay. But uh how was your weekend before we even continue, you know, let the family know how the weekend was. Yeah. And uh yeah, one remember- of them move happened last week we were not uh, broadcasting we we did not broadcast last week we are um, actively involved with getting 21st the facts initiative it has become an exhuming um, uh, you know this is our our life's work this is our our life contribution to the family so it, it takes a little bit of time effort and energy to put into to make sure that everything is um, airtight, you know. So that necessary time that we needed is the time that we had to borrow from our Tuesdays and our Friday evenings. And this coming Friday, I'm going to be in Harlem with our brother Ross Ben and the uh, some of the wonderful artists that are going to be included in the Cosmic Womb art installation. We have an art gallery showing up, curating gallery on 122nd. Adam Clayton Powell, our brother Ross Ben, is going to be talking about angiology as it pertains to um, biblical narrative and updating that with some current events with Star Nation filming and what's been going on in regards to that. And the Sister Rhonda Brown, the fabulous artist from the West Coast is going to be bringing some empirical proof by way of art for the very first time show evidence of a star nation. And um, I think I'm going to be unveiling some footage from a documentary that I'm preparing, dealing with uh, what do they call it? Man, what's us name it that, uh, that movie. Encounters of the Third Kind. This was an Encounter of the Fourth Kind, though. So, you know, we got some footage and we're going to be playing that. Also, got a fashion show at this particular venue unveiling the new crop circle designs. All right. So, you know, it's been a jam packed weekend, a whole lot of interviews, a lot of press, um, a lot of excitement gearing up for this upcoming debate on the 20th. So, we've just been in full media mode and full entrepreneur mode with the um, with the different projects getting our packages to our wonderful customers. We love you all. Make this very much a possibility for us to um, to live in this dream. You know what I'm saying? Of living out this dream, should I say. Shout Indeed. out to Mama Pill, KT the R degree. Mama Pill got some things coming up. You know what I'm saying? KT the R degree, definitely as well. So shout out to them as well. Deep. Salute. All right. Definitely.
3: Definitely.
2: Yes, and for the so family... family um, so, networks, you know, you guys might be nervous as well, but as soon as you hear the good doctor's voice in a few minutes, you can let your friends know the doctor's in the building, all right? And he will be here. So, tell a friend to tell a friend to tune in tonight. This is the episode that you've been waiting for, getting emails, texts, and phone calls for a long time. People wondering when Dr. Umar will make his triumphant return to Nota-Ledge Radio. The time is now, the date is now. Let the family know to tune in. All right.
3: Indeed, indeed. No doubt. Yes, brother man.
2: Is there anything else going on that you want to build about? Uh, No. Not necessarily. Everything else speaks for itself. They could go and check videos out, there's videos everywhere. You know what I'm saying? I think everything else is pretty much self-explanatory. My focus has definitely been on tonight. You know what we have in front of us. So that's what. I, you know. Yes, sir, Indeed. and the show is sponsored tonight, family by Kings dot That's K I N G Z K O U N T Y dot Big Cartel dot com. Uh, spring 16 is definitely on its way. The collection is crazy. And, um, you know, just judging by the way that people are reacting to the samples, it's going to be a very, very uh, long spring,
3: long summer. Yeah.
2: all oh, summer thing. 16. com. I'll wait. You know what I'm saying? I'll wait till the summer. Ain't no thing. Like I said, yes. family, what and, uh, you're looking at is, is, you know, it's not um, sibling rivalry or competition. We are aspiring one another to go forward, to spring forth, you know what I'm saying, to share our talents with the world. And this is how we inspire one another. We don't really get inspired from the outside world. We get inspired in-house, you know what I mean? So we just... Allowing you um, some insight into our method that has allowed us to uh, stay, I won't even say ahead of the game. I'll be humble and just say on top of the game. You know what I'm saying? So paranormal is just as much uh, the brainchild is red pill as much as Kings County is the brainchild of blue pill, you know? As a fact, you definitely look forward to that Seven Heaven Seamoss. we got some real interesting things coming. Sogo Ward, of course. My Power Pieces. There's new pieces that are up there now. you got to look on the third page of the products. But there's some pieces up there. We're going to be rolling out a whole bunch of things in the very, very, very near future. Law 44, i got a presentation coming for that. Super duper excited about that. The latest thing out solidify this theorem of all things and everything so you know those are the um the destinations that you can check out law 44.com so go biz um, the ocean 14 corp is coming back We're still remodeling that site apparel normal and of course brother kingscounty.bigcartel.com all right and um, look forward to the twenty-first for the free webinar for the Facts Initiative. Facts is an acronym for Food, Art, Clothing, Technology, and Shelter Initiative. We will be having a free webinar. You can sign up at facts www <clears throat> dot insta page. Yes. The same way that you spell Instagram mm-hmm. dot com. Come on down, family. You have a powerful, powerful, powerful presentation to share with you. It is solution-based. It is economic-based. And um, its uh, you'll be a part of history. I promise you. So, you know, without any further ado, let's get into the program for tonight, though. I believe that our guest is in the building. All
3: right, Blue? Give me
2: one minute. Blue Pills line is dropped.
3: All right. Yes.
2: Yeah. So take this time, family. Like Brother said, share some links on your social media networks. Let the family know that the good doctor is in the building. And then uh, it's definitely about to go down. Brother Blue, you there? Yes, I am. Can you, you know, every now and then look for my line? Because I said, I got this new phone and this is, I, I got a new phone okay. to upgrade my connection, but it's been, connection been crazy. But,
4: yeah, look in the
2: queue and see if tonight's guest is in the building as of yet. Yes, uh, sir. Yeah. Yes, he informed me that he should be here. So, let's get the show underway. We have been waiting long enough. Anticipation has got me, you know. I got to drink some coffee after this or something. So, (laughs) funny. All right, let's go ahead. Call us on the 215 989. Peace and welcome to Notal Edge Radio. Peace
0: and love, black
2: family. Dr. Umar Johnson, the Prince of Pan
5: Africanism, live and on the line.
0: Yes, indeed. Welcome back. Thank you. It's been a while. It's been a while.
3: So long
2: that we were able to acquire drones. So now we got a we got a sound effect with drones dropping bombs. Wait till you hear that one later. And the drones are lined up, so I know they're gonna come out tonight. But how have you been, Dr. Umar? The last time I saw you, we were at the Million Man March in D.C. At the culmination, the ending of it. For some people, that feels like eons ago funny how time is moving so fast. Uh, For some people, it feels like ages ago, but it was just a few months ago. Um, How have you been since then, brother?
5: Oh Man, I've been well. I've been blessed. Uh, Still traveling, still helping the parents, still motivating the youth, still uh, raising funds for the school, still spreading the good gospel of Garveyism. All has been well. Right now, I'm taking a little break for March and April. Actually, the first break I've taken in the past five years, but it's overdue. My body, my mind, the ancestors and my Baba Law's been telling me that you gotta take a break right now. So for March I'ma just be relaxing. April I'ma be relaxing and then I'm gonna come back strong May twenty sixteen. So it's a little weird. I'm not used to resting, but uh it's so something I gotta do.
3: So
2: it's only twenty lectures in March then. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. Just, just to be clear, I just wanted to it
0: So they might have slow down. They think that there's just 20 on the board, Sam, so slowing down. I'm okay, <laughs> falling all the way back. I'm only giving y'all 20 out of these 30 days.
2: But um, I first and foremost and it's, only, it's only a break from the lectures, though.
5: It's only a break from the lectures. I still got to continue the other work um, as far as getting ready for the Black Boy College Tour coming up this summer. Obviously, still yep. scouting for a property for the FBMG, still helping the parents, still doing the evaluation. So it'll be a lecture break, but it won't be an administrative break. I still got to keep Team
6: Pan-African rolling.
2: Well, what I was going to say is that ever since I saw you at the um, on the lawn at the Million Man March, your overall visibility, you know, has tripled. You've been introduced into audiences that um, you know are compromised of what we know as the mainstream, as a result of both the breakfast, the Breakfast Club um, appearance, and then also the Atlanta Housewives appearance. So yes, it's sir. like although you may be slowing down from the lecture circuit, your visibility and are you in the new Hidden Colors? Are, are you in the? Part four? Uh,
5: nah, uh, I had decided uh, that Hidden Colors three would be my last. Only because I'm okay. working on a documentary of my own. Uh, there's going to be a series of documentaries. I'm going to be dropped in a documentary, but I still support uh, The Hidden Colors. Definitely still support it.
3: Beautiful, beautiful.
2: I was saying that just to say that the visibility aspect will continue to grow. You'll be introduced into the living rooms and to the hearts and minds of the populace, you feel me, at a time where they are not necessarily aware that voices such as yours if movements such as this movement even exist so i've been privileged so, to to sit back and watch people discover you and and to be enlightened by you and it's a beautiful thing
5: well it's been it's been uh it's been a blessing it's definitely been been a blessing the million man march uh, to be honest with you was a uh that was a eye opener for me Because although (laughs) I travel the world and I get love everywhere I go, you know, that Million Man March experience kind of opened my eye to who I was. Because from the time I set foot on the mall, I think we got there at about 11 a.m. I think we left maybe four or five. I can't remember. But from the time I arrived until the time I left, there was nothing but pictures. So that was about six hours straight. And even when the march was over, they were still coming for them. And I couldn't believe it. I said, wait a minute, all these people know me? You know, so it was a humbling, it was a very humbling experience, but I would have to say that the Million Man March was the first time that me personally, that I personally witnessed uh, the blessing that I've been given to be able to touch the hearts and souls of our brothers and sisters. That was my coming out party in many respects because I've never, that I wasn't expecting that. I was not expecting to get that type of love all day long like that.
2: If we, because when we saw each other, we were in transit. We would Each one was getting back to their respective spots. If me and you had got time to build that day when I saw you, the same words that you just shared with me would have been the same words that I would have shared with you about my awakening that just, that just took place. And I would have been like, brother, can you relate? Because I'm sure that you can. Because every other person that I ran into, and I and I we we talked about this. They were like, "Yo, we felt like we not only were we part of the march because we are part of the collective, and we saw our connect our key, uh, connectivity and our relationship. There's no degree of separation because people from every walks, from everywhere, every angle. It didn't matter the uniform or the colors. They were like, "Yo, red. Yo, that's red. Yo, yeah." Yo, polite. Yo, Sa. Yo, blue. Yo, you know, everybody that was out there, they were seeing people. And I know the same thing was going on when, you know, the family was just showing you, not only showing you love, but telling you, yo, I was out here just to see you. You're a superhero to me. I can't believe that I'm actually seeing you in the flesh. Like, these are some of the things that I heard. So. I know it. I, I mean, that was that was a that was. I feel like everybody who showed up, they um got to see the impact of how huge and how important and how his, history making this work is in the now. You know. True that. True that. Yeah, it it, it definitely humbled me, man. It humbled me, and um, it, it also showed me that. And I I came back to the radio and I said that we can have, if we wanted to, a great gathering It doesn't have to necessarily be called the Million Man March because there's a connotation that's attached to that. Or there may be a a certain, you know, um, level of uh, judgment that one may put towards that. And it's understandable. So I would say a grand gathering, a great gathering where the family comes out under the premise of coming together, for solutions the same way that we came on that lawn. Because I was like, I could do this every weekend. Like, this is not that big, you know? Right. What else are we doing as a people at war? Like, what else are we doing that we can't do this four times a year, like how people meet quarterly? And get up there, because I would have loved to see you on that jumbo screen, because I know you would have had that place on the young people call it turned up.
6: <laughs> no doubt.
2: So, you know, I aspire to see that in this lifetime when we come back together as the collective and there's no restrictions or the the lineup is, is um, people that I'm very familiar with. You know, and the message is very Garvey-like and very, you know, it, it stands on the shoulders of the... Uh, the doctrines that we are all familiar with, and that's our liberation and our upliftment, and moving forward, you know, in this race to get to the front, you know. Now, cause... as someone such as yourself, Doctor Umar walks away with experience such as that that you are speaking about with the Million Man March. What do you necessarily walk away with that? Like, what what has been modified in regards to? what you experience, what you witness, you know. How do you galvanize all of that energy and all of that reciprocation of love? Like, what does it charge? What does it tell you? You know, what changes me, after that?
6: You know, as I as
5: I walked away, the main thing that I just keep repeating to myself is, you got to you got to show and prove. To me, it just reinforced. I have an obligation to produce, you know, institutionally, programmatically, systematically, in every other what every other way. So for me it was less about the celebrity aspect and more about the accountability aspect as it always is when, you know, I am greeted with that type of love. So I just walked away with a renewed sense of purpose, a renewed sense of obligation and a renewed sense of duty. That's what it really really left me with, you know, I always say I'm my own worst critic. Uh, There's no critic I have that is worse than I am with myself. I guess part of it is a Leo thing. The other part of it is that my heroes, all of my heroes are deceased. I don't really have any living heroes. Um, And so when I judge my own work, I'm judging it by great and mighty ancestors. So I'm looking at Frederick Douglass. I'm looking at Marcus Garvey. I'm looking at Patrice Lumumba, you know, I'm 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 looking at Alexander Crumbo, I'm looking at all the great black leaders and pan-Africanists from the past and I say okay, you know, how do I stack up to them? And compared to them, I don't stack up at all. I'm not even uh able to put those shoes on yet, but that's my level of comparison and I do that on purpose so I never get complacent with what I'm doing cuz it's easy to get complacent. When you're kind of quote unquote on top, so to speak, you know, being the most requested speaker around the world with no mainstream endorsement whatsoever, that's unheard of. And you can get very complacent and you can get very brainwashed by your own ego. So to keep myself humble, I'm constantly comparing what I've done to a Dr. King, to a Malcolm, to a Mega Evers. I'm constantly, you know, saying to myself, Uh, You know, King was already here at 27. You know, Malcolm was there at 39. You know, Garvey was there at 32. Frederick was there at 28. So that's how I stay
2: humble by comparing myself to the great ones.
3: Indeed.
2: Indeed. And um, for people that may criticize that level of comparison, you know, from the outside looking in saying, Who is he to compare himself to X, Y, and Z? One, you're explaining this is your formula that actually keeps you humble, so it's not necessarily about, you know, an ego thing. How do you balance that out? How do you balance the critics, the people that are on the outside that really don't understand the methodology but always have something to say?
5: I think it comes with the territory. Um,
6: You know, I think... uh Someone said it might have been Usher uh, who I had the opportunity to meet in Atlanta during my Kwanzaa lecture, a uh, very
5: conscious brother, believe it or not. But I think it was him who said in an interview that once you have people talking about you all the time, that's when you quote, unquote, know you made it to an extent. And so for me, the criticism is just a reminder that I'm relevant because if I wasn't, you wouldn't be so concerned about me. I mean, the people who put so much time and energy in trying to tear me down uh, wouldn't worry about me that much if I wasn't relevant. But, again, it's a blessing in disguise because a lot of people came to know me and my works. I've saved a lot of people, helped a lot of people save their children by virtue of the hate because what happens is the hate is a magnet that draws people in. And when they hear these disturbing things said about somebody, naturally, you want to go and research that person. Like, who the hell is this Dr. Umar Johnson? who's going around saying he has a doctorate when he don't or saying he's a school psychologist and he's not, and he's related to Frederick Douglass and it's not true. So naturally when you hear those type of false rumors, you're like, wow, these are some very bold lies that this man is putting out there. So naturally it leads them to go and sample my work, hear from me, contact me directly. And there's been a lot of people who were actually brought to me by way of the haters looking for further investigation who once they found out, you know, who I really was and what I was really about, it actually became supporters of mine. So that's not to say that I would rather have the hate because I would rather not have it, but I've yes. seen where even the negativity can bring about a positive end, you know, almost like a, a, a an alchemical type of a trans transmission, so to speak, you know, turning trans, evil into good. Transmutation. Goods. Yeah, transmutation
2: exactly. is alchemy exactly on another so. level. Very
5: much so. You know, so. but also... I have a support yes. group of people, many I know, many I don't know,
0: who regularly
5: yes. come to my defense. Like a lot of times, because I'm so busy, I don't have time to see what – if you notice, I don't respond to anybody on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I don't respond because I'm too busy. And if I respond to one person, i got to respond to everybody. And a lot of times when I find out about a little hate, hate campaign that may have started, supporters of Dr. Umar Johnson had already canceled that out. They didn't already took care of it before I even had a chance to see it. So – I'm grateful for the love, and I want to shout out all the people out there who support Dr. Umar Johnson and my mission because they really helped me keep my mind clear for the work I have to do, as opposed to dealing with these little petty strikes. Because a lot of time they're able to put out those fires for me because many of them know the answers to those questions. If you follow me in my career, you know where I got my degrees from. You know where I got it from. I recite my entire family tree at the end of every lecture, so. I mean, a lot of the false allegations can be easily dismissed by anyone who knows doctor, who know Dr. who Doctor Umar's work. But I would say for every hater or every detractor that I have, there's 10,000 people who support me. So in the overall scheme of things, really doesn't matter that much. Like it hasn't impacted anything that I've done. If anything, it's made people support me even stronger for the fact that people will try to tear down somebody who does the type of work that I do for our children.
2: Indeed. Indeed. Yes. Um. Now, going into that particular topic of um, what we call quote-unquote haters or detractors or just plainly just critics, you know, what is it that, you know, would you, because you said that you are the most requested scholar country in many respects, maybe, you know what I'm saying, throughout the world in regards to someone who does what it is that you do without the mainstream support. Now, what are you doing that you consider is different than what other people are doing that makes what you're doing that much more successful? Do you think that it's more so a divine mission? Is there a divine imperative involved that will allow, like you said, to have such a resounding effect on the populace of people where you could go to the lawn and get all of this feedback, right? It's touching people in ways that you can't even imagine. Do you see this as part of more so a quote-unquote divine plan?
5: In in African spirituality, it's believed that we all have a destiny that we choose when we come into this world. We choose it before we come through our parents. We actually even choose our parents. And that destiny, although it is fixed, it can also be ruined by you and the bad decisions that you make. And yes. so for me, I would be lying if I didn't say that I believed that there was some sort of divine hand operating somewhere within my life. Because the way in which I came to the conscious community, it was just like a watershed out of the blue. As the elders often say, you just came out of nowhere like gangbusters and took over. That's what the elders say. And I wasn't even looking to do that. It just kind of came. And because I believe pretty much like you brothers often talk about on the show, there are no coincidences everything has a purpose, I definitely believe that there was some sort of ancestral, some sort of divine design to where I am and what I'm doing. But at the same time, going back to my opening comment, I would say that I have to be careful not to spoil it if it is my destiny. One thing the Honorable Marcus Garvey said was that if he could do it all over again, some of the conflicts that he had with black leaders, W.E.B. Du Bois, uh, A. Philip Randolph and others, although they were wrong, he said if he could do it over again, he would not have responded to some of those beefs. And that's one of the things that I have to remind myself of as well. Uh, Being in Leo light we're only four days apart. He's the 17th. I'm the 21st of August. You know, we have that fight. We have that fire. We're the lines. But at the same time, we got to recognize when a fight is not worth it. And, you know, in reflecting on what Garby said, you know, about those conflicts that he had with the boy and others, I tried to internalize that into my work because I want to make sure that I spoil my own destiny by getting involved in petty conflicts or by making poor decisions. But I definitely think there was a divine piece to it, but that doesn't mean I can't spoil it. You know, as far as, you know, uh, where I'm at and why I feel that I'm there, I think one of the things is I'm a school psychologist. So within the black conscious community, there's no school psychologist within the conscious community. Obviously, we have great psychologists. Dr. Naima Akbar is is still with us and God willing will be with us for a long time. Dr. Wade Nobles, uh, who I met for the first time at Dr. Ben's funeral, uh, he's still with us. Of course, uh, Queen Mother Dr. Frances Cresswell and she just joined the ancestors as a black psychiatrist, but we still have Uh, many of the powerhouses in psychology with the Dr. Patricia Newton, they're there. But as it relates to the specialty of school psychology and the special education uh, uh, industry, I'm probably the only person who has that type of proficiency. And so I guess I have a little niche. You know, like in every profession, you can have a little niche. And I guess for me, school psychology is one of the niches that I have under the conscious umbrella. Also, along with that, being a former school principal, being an educator, that's another little niche. And then being a Garveyite and a Pan-Africanist, that's another niche. And I think that those niches coming together, along with being a blood relative of one of the greatest black leaders of all time in Frederick Douglass, I think those four things kind of come together and makes for a very unique membership and a very uh, unique purpose that I serve within the conscious community.
2: You just mentioned um, looking at our esteemed elders and some of the decisions that they've made dealing with past conflicts. Oftentimes, because, you know, we travel the country and we field a lot of different conversations from people around the world, and what they say is that, you know, they say your, your your community promotes this concept of unity, broad unity, almost where the information can be the saving grace of the people. And the information is oftentimes embodied information, and oftentimes those that are at the forefront pretty much garner the most attention, yourself being one of those individuals. So people from the outside looking in are always saying, why don't our teachers get along? And I say, I don't know whether that's true or not. You know, I have differences with some people in the community, and because some of those differences are personal, I keep them personal, you know what I'm saying? And there's not really any differences per se that I would say, uh, you know, dealing with a degree where is something that I'm gonna to go to my grave with, where I'll never have a conversation with this person. Person in your position of your stature, is there any way that you can see some sort of, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say coming to terms where you and some of these individuals, and we don't need to name any names necessarily, but for the sake of the larger populist that looks at the community and is looking for symbolisms of unity right at the highest level, do you also take that responsibility on your shoulders? Are you also keeping things like that in mind?
5: Oh without question, I think that comes a responsibility and an obligation to try to keep the peace. so one thing that I've learned uh spiritually, psychologically. just in my experience, you know, with the national and international conscious community, if you say something about somebody, even if it's true, it might be the gospel truth, but if it is negative, even if it's true, if if, if it is negative, it only adds to that consistently growing, ever powerful, negative cloud that is hanging over the heads of black folk that is perpetuating the disunity. So if somebody say, you know, red pill can't be trusted or blue pill think he all that, that's not true. But if it was true, even if it was true, to say it isn't solving any problem because the fact that it was negative, even if it was true, it still only adds to the growing negative cloud. And so more and more I'm seeing the need to not make certain comments, even if I feel strongly about them. I'm seeing the need to not feed into that negative cloud because our people are addicted to that. They love the negativity. If you look at social network, you know, in many respects, social network is a benefit. Me personally, uh, what I get out of it is it allows people to connect with me who never would have been able to get me on the telephone. It also allows me to uh, put information out about upcoming events that I'm having and advertise in a way that i never could have done without it but on the downside of social network is that it allows the unbridled and unrestrained uh spewing of negativity from black people towards other black people because you don't have to be accountable nobody really know who you are or you don't have to use your real name no one knows where you live so all of your negative uh, a Willie really Lynch self-hate can be released onto any other African person or on African people in general, and you never have to be held accountable for it. So what you see on social network, unfortunately, is a very, very, very unhealthy communication of the worst thoughts, the worst feelings, of the worst aspect that a black person can have toward another person unrestrained because you don't have to be accountable for it. And for that purpose, you know, I'm beginning to look at social network as more of a hindrance than a help, because that, that negativity that you're constantly seeing being thrown, the way black people respond to other black people, it's not out of love, it's out of pure hate and in, uh, in, in, in education. I just think that that's a piece of social network that has not served as well. Now, okay. as a
2: psychologist, um, as someone who has traveled the country, travel the world for that matter, you have a pretty decent gauge on who our people are and what our people are involved with because you're you're hearing the sentiments of the people everywhere that you go, and I'm sure that you're finding the commonality in what those sentiments are, and if not, you could say, okay, well, this issue might be more integral to the people that are in this location as opposed to that location. So as a psychologist, how would you diagnose us as a people as a broader community one and then like you said as a community and social network or well, how would you diagnose social network period do you do you recognize it as a grand experiment I
5: definitely see social network as a grand experiment a uh, social network was actually uh engineered by the intelligence community of the United States government and most of the so-called uh, European power nations to be able to supervise communication between persons without necessarily having to invade your mail. So you're opening up every piece of mail from every uh, potential quote-unquote agent provocateur of the state is a very time-consuming and inefficient way uh, to conduct surveillance over people you deem to be national security threats. Whereas if you can get people to trade in writing a letter for emailing one, it gets a whole lot better. And then if you can get people to trade in emailing a letter to just putting out their uh, thoughts and uh, feelings on a social network platform, all you have to do is tap into Facebook, uh, tap into uh, Instagram, tap into Twitter, and you can look at all the thought that is coming out of black America. It's a much more efficient way to supervise what we're doing. I don't worry about it too much because I know there's nothing that you can hide from the powers that be. Everything is under surveillance. Everything. Every text message gets recorded. Every phone conversation is taped. There's no way to escape that except to go off the grid. And I do believe that at some point in the future, we are going to have to go off the grid. There's no way you're going to effectively wage a campaign of deception against the United States government, the FBI, the CIA, Homeland Security, a national security agency without going off the grid because as long as you are on the grid they can supervise you they can predict your actions they can know where you sleep where you rest where your children are every time you use a bank card every time you swipe your passport you know uh every time your license is uh is swiped anything like that you know they can every time an email is sent every time you pick up your cell phone you are on the grid and so we're really going to have to come to a point where we come up with a protocol to be able to communicate with each other off-grid because if they shut down the cell phone, how do we communicate with each other? If they shut down Internet, how do we communicate with each other? If they shut down social network, how do we communicate with each other? I think one of the greatest threats to the security of the conscious community and the various organizations therein is the fact that if the white man pulled the switch on all telecommunications, we would not be able to talk with each other or communicate with each other, and that is probably the single greatest threat to our effectiveness as a
3: community.
5: One thing I wanted to say too, going back to your question about the commonalities that I see globally, here's 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 the good thing, yes. is our people are ready everywhere. They're ready in the Caribbean, they're ready in South America, they're ready in Canada, they're ready in Europe, they're ready in yes. Africa. You know, they're ready. The sad thing about it is there's no community I've seen on the planet. There's no black community I've seen on the planet that I think is a good example for others to replicate,
6: and that's Mm. the sad thing.
5: Even with all the positive energy, all the youth that are ready to get organized, I don't see an example of a community that is even halfway to where we need to be. Wherever you go, you see the same petty differences, you see the ideological tribalism, you see the male-female schisms, you see the elder-youth schism, you see the black bourgeoisie, you see the uh, love of materialism, you see the illusion of inclusion. I mean, literally, the way the white man has set up white supremacy globally is that every black community, wherever we are, we suffer the exact same things, and in many respects, we suffer them in the exact same ways, which is ironic, because wherever I go, People often tell me that you've never seen a black community like this. Every black community in the world thinks they're so unique to a city in America. No matter where I go, I could go to Detroit. I could go to Chicago. I could go to Houston, Dallas, Austin. I can go to Raleigh, LA, Long Beach. It don't matter where I go. uh, Folks are going to say you haven't seen racism or black oppression the way you see it in this city. And it's not true. It's the same way everywhere. It's like, white supremacy just put together a plan and literally just franchised it. He franchised white supremacy for everybody in in the world.
2: world. Well, could it be, could it be the society by the way of, you know, us being in the, we're in Rome. So we're inside of a system and the Westernized system, the way that um, Dr. Francis Cress Wilson uh, breaks it down, Nellie Fuller breaks it down. The whole system is having an effect on the psychology, right? The spirits and the energy, like you said, the grid. So they're affecting the grid where they're just the system that everybody falls under because it's attached to religion. It's attached to education. It's attached to the food system. It's attached. So, it's almost like a formula that they're following, similar to the, you know, similar to Sigmund Freud, similar to all of these different formulas that were created by these psychologists in order, you know, Pavlov and all of these things. So, at what point do we begin to go into these areas and we see the same pathologies? And as a, as a, as a, as a psychologist or a group of psychologists, how do we now go into these areas and apply the antidote. Like, how do we apply these? Because it's a good thing that it exists the same same way everywhere, because at that point, the hundred monkey theory or the law of correspondence begins to take place or we begin to make um, studies of case studies of different areas that we work on.
5: Well said. Here's what I think. I think that two things. It's like when someone comes into therapy, first thing you've got to evaluate, two things. Number one, their readiness for change, their readiness for change. When someone comes into therapy, the first thing we're trained to do is to evaluate how willing are they to change? How willing are they to stop smoking? How willing are they to stop using the cocaine? How willing are they to overcome their low self-esteem? How willing are they to climb out of their depression? Readiness for change means everything because if you're not ready to change, you're not going to. And so despite all the motivation that I'm seeing around the world from our people, a lot of our people are still reluctant to change because of the fear of the unknown. See, people would rather keep the known failure than explore the unknown success. And that's one of the problems with our people. They don't want to see what the possibilities lie. Ahead of them, unless they can be guaranteed of the success of that possibility, and that's why we don't struggle harder. it's because struggling too hard, what if we fail It's that doubt it's that doubt, and I'm not a Christian, but one thing within a Christian doctrine that they uh, put a lot of uh, place a lot of emphasis on is doubt, as they say, "O ye of little faith, why do you doubt? And I think for African people, one of the strongest allies uh on on behalf of white supremacy is the psychology of African people. We have that doubt. We don't believe that we can get free of white supremacy. We don't believe that we can create our own reality and infrastructure without a need for dependence on him. It is that doubt. And you even see it within the conscious community. You know, I hear it regularly, even from Elvis, who say, we'll never get out of this. You know, too much time has passed. We'll never catch up. And these are from some of the most astute minds we have, but they still espouse that doubt. We have to kill that doubt because that doubt is the devil of white supremacy whispering in our consciousness trying to convince us to stop fighting back. Because once you conquer the mind of the oppressed, you've conquered the oppressed. You can conquer the body, but you still don't have them. You can control the schools, but you still don't have them. You can control every institution in the black community. But you have not achieved victory over black revolution until you convince us collectively that white supremacy is undefeatable once you've convinced us psychologically that we cannot win then you lose it's like playing a game and you get to a point in the game where you begin to believe that you know what we can't win once that doubt becomes a reality in the mind it becomes a reality in space and time and so i'm constantly seeing myself and we all have to do this is fight against the doubt that so many of our people have we've been down on one knee for so long that a lot of black people don't think we can get up on both of them. That's why I think the first serious break, the first serious example that is shown to African people by any black community anywhere in the world that we can do something other than what we've been doing, I really think, as you said, with the 100-monkey phenomenon, I think that's really going to galvanize everybody worldwide. And I think that white supremacy is so aware of it that he has to keep black people oppressed everywhere because he knows all they need to see is one glimpse of hope, just one glimpse of hope, and then it will be like a watershed in black revolution and black consciousness. So we just have to keep the light going because, as the song says, when hope unborn has died, and we can never get to the point where our people's hope dies before it is even born.
3: So So it is. All
2: right please. This will be a, the two part qu- of the second part of the question. With that being said, I would say the glimmer of hope the black people could look at in these days and times would be the community that we are all a part of. Some people call it the conscious community. Some people call it the Enlightened ones. Some people call it the Revolutionary Movement. You know, there's different connotations. But what I've seen personally, the lives that I've seen saved, transformed, changed, elevated, you know, uh, upgraded from being in direct contact with the work and the information that has been hidden from us, the hidden color series. You know, the lectures that you have on YouTube, the body of work from hundreds of our teachers, that's the revolution that I feel that when the people around the world, they are waking up as a result of that, and they are using that to empower them, and they are using that to charge themselves up. I saw that on the lawn. So what would be your diagnosis? as a psychologist to the conscious community. If you had a, if you had a diagnosis to them, because I, I share sentiments that you have when it comes to the social media, I said that's a very dangerous place or that's a very dangerous creation that they did, especially when you come to find out that Zuckerberg and a lot of them, study. they study human psychology. And then when you get into Dr. Francis Cress Wilson's teachings about narcissism and you read the definition of it, it applies directly to what we're seeing take place in the realm of social media.
5: You know, without question, attention is the new drug. Social media has made attention the new drug. Everyone wants to be seen, everyone wants to be heard, and they're willing to pay any cost for that to happen. It doesn't matter how ridiculous they look themselves. It doesn't matter how disrespectful they present someone else as. If it achieves the desired uh, respect, excuse me, the desired result of being more seen, of being more uh, more, more present, of being more noticed than it was worth it. And so I'm seeing the drug of attention be exploited by way of, of, of social network. Um, as far as the conscious community go, I think the consciousness has been a tremendous boost to our people, but it has its limits. And it has its limits because consciousness is not going to save us. Consciousness is necessary for us to be saved, but it is not sufficient by itself. Ultimately, if the conscious community does not begin to build institutions and programs and services that cater to the basic needs of African people, then the conscious community is going to risk being impotent, church has become because we're, we're, we're becoming another megachurch in many respects. The information is good. The consciousness is necessary. But where are the schools? Where are the hospitals? Where are the distribution networks? Where are the factories? We must have a, a manufacturing, production, and distribution network. That is essential for any healthy community, and the conscious community does not have that. We've been largely limited to information and knowledge information and knowledge again that is critical if someone comes into therapy i have to help them understand their addiction what triggered the addiction where it came from what were the early experiences in your life that brought this about but guess what after someone understands their cocaine habit that doesn't solve the cocaine addiction knowledge of the addiction does not eliminate the addiction knowledge of white supremacy doesn't eliminate white supremacy knowledge of the black contribution to human civilization does not eliminate black oppression. After you have gathered the knowledge, you then have to use that knowledge as a motivationary force to bring about the necessary activity to produce the change, produce the change in the lives of African people. The basic needs, food, clothing, shelter, job, health care, security, we're not dealing with that. And I think until we start dealing with that, community will never be what it really can be because we're comfortable with the information. As I always say, the information is the means to the end. It is not the end. But it seems like within a conscious community that we've made knowing stuff the goal. But you don't know stuff for the sake of knowing. I didn't go through college to know this for the sake of knowing. I learned it so I could use it. To help people. So, how are we using the information to transform the physical reality of African people and not just the consciousness? You have to go from a place where you transform the consciousness to transforming the physical reality. At the end of the day, when we all leave this world, we have to ask ourselves what did we do and what did we leave behind to make the place a whole lot better? the way we found it and of course teachers will always be remembered but builders are always considered a step ahead of the teachers because the teacher transmits Mm. the knowledge the information but the builder changes the reality
2: that's a perfect segue -hmm. go ahead Ray now real quick there's a, a presentation that I did called the Facts initiative. The acronym is Food, Art, Clothing, Technology, Shelter. It's an, it's an initiative that hasn't launched. I'm ready to come in, fly out, and sit down with you and talk to you about it because everything that you talked about is, is what we answered. And we I'm, a, I'm in an agreement with you that it's about building now. It's about taking this and taking it and turning it into wisdom. And, you know, we want to see our, you know, like we want to see the college come about. We want to see our institutions come about by the people, from the people we the people come together and get these institutions and build communities and get land and everything. But I'm glad that you brought that up. So, Blue, go ahead. Yes. That's, again, that's another perfect segue to where I wanted to go. My next question to Dr. Umar would be, after everything that you've just shared, and the importance that you're talking about in regards to getting people out of a state of complacency where they actually want to move and get some things done, you know, and us understanding biology, the best way to do that would be to have people teeter one another, you know what I'm saying, in a quote-unquote community, and not a virtual one, but something physical. Now, I remember probably wasn't the last time you was on the last, maybe it was the time prior to that. You were talking about the fact that you hadn't yourself yet settled on what you considered to be your final resting location, where you would call home and things of that nature. At this point in your travels, at this point in your development, do you see the um, possibility that, you know, maybe you might build this community around where you decide to settle? Maybe you might want to go and get this land and, We can all collectively put our hands together and build the school that you're looking for, you know what I'm saying, that you're calling for, for that matter, and bring people to us rather than going out amongst the people where they are at, you know, which are already these environments that are already compromised and start pulling out people out of these structures and bringing them into something that's more collective where they can galvanize their power as one.
5: Oh, uh, Without question, in fact, that's one of the scenarios, you know, that I have uh, where I often talk about the school. I say, well, the school will not just be about the school. It will merely be the nucleus for a new black Wall Street. Because if you have all those children living somewhere and the teachers living there, the parents are going to live near their kids. They're going to need a gas station. You're going to need a fire department. You're going to need a supermarket. You're going to need a hospital. So just by virtue of necessity to meet the needs of the people who are actually coming for the school, we will end up building a self-sustaining community. And so one of the things that I've been looking at, I've been looking at schools in the city, and then I've been looking at schools in rural areas, surrounded by land, which allows you to build. One of the reasons why I like St. Paul so much is because it has so so much acreage around it that would allow us to buy more land as necessary to stretch out. You know, one of the reasons why I don't want to settle for a regular school in the city is you don't have no room for growth. You have no room for growth. So obviously, you know, a rural school situation would be uh, favorable to a metropolitan uh, school situation. And then, of course, the potential of building a school in Africa is something that I've been eminently faced with lately because of my communication with some of the traditional rulers in Africa who really, really, really want me to take that half million dollars that the people have helped me raise and bring it to Africa because if you translate $500,000, you transfer that into Ghanaian currency and Nigerian currency, you know, Senegalese a Liberian currency, you already have over $2 million. I could build the school of my dream in Africa tomorrow. The only reason why Mm. I'm reluctant to do that, even as a Pan-African, is because I know a lot of our parents are not going to feel safe enough due to the brainwash that has been taking place against our people as it relates to Africa. A lot of our parents will not feel comfortable enough to send their children over to Africa to learn. That's the only thing keeping me from doing it. If I knew that the parents would, you know, uh, be behind uh, the fact or be behind the mission to have their sons educated in Africa, I would build it there without a question. It would just bother me to have this state-of-the-art school in Africa and not a single African-American child, so-called African-American boy,
2: could benefit from that. That's my only hesitation. You know, as I know, that if you put the call out and you sell the idea, people are going to get on board. Ultimately, what you stand for and what other people stand in formation besides you and behind you for is that you represent an ideal, a continuation of that ideal that is yet to be realized. So why not? seize the opportunity now as as it presents itself, you know, to call people, not necessarily call them out, but say it's time. At what point are they going to be comfortable to get off of their butts and make that move? Africa is the future. This is where all industry is headed. China knows it. Europe knows it. America knows it. So if black Americans don't get it, then they need that education everyone is converging on Africa right now. So, you know, that's a genius idea. What better place to build a school but in the epicenter of the future? That's Africa right now.
5: And that's that struggle. You know, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with your logic and your reasoning. You know, and obviously, you know, that's my logic and reasoning as well. In fact, these two months that I have off, I actually plan on uh, going over uh, to Africa to speak and uh, meet with some of the ministers of education there. I actually plan to do that, uh, to see, you know, what they propose, what type of logistical support, you know, they will provide me with. So that's something I plan on doing while I'm off these next few months, to actually yes. gauge the interest and the sincerity there, you know. And if everything lines up, if everything lines up, you know, that's where it will be. I mean, I did want the first one here, just for sake of our brothers here, you know, our, our, our boys, you know, but if everything lines up on the continent, then with our question, that's where the school will
2: be. Yeah, I, I would, um, you know, I would ask of you to, 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 to take that to the ancestors, brother, you know what I'm saying, like, and see what they have to say because that is in line with um, the future directive of where the planet is headed, you know what I'm saying, And with that, I wanted to ask you, what are your thoughts on uh, politics, U.S. politics for that matter? We're in an election year, and the atmosphere surrounding the politics of this election year speaks to the fact that whoever may land in that particular position in the next few months, they're going to terraform and change, you know, the ways and means of society from my purview, it might be different from yours. So I wanted to know from your perspective, you know, from what you're seeing and what you're hearing, what do you think about this whole political cycle? I think that as it relates to
5: our people, as it relates to African people, I think that the policy will always be what it has always been. And that has been racial oppression and extermination. I think it's sad in many respects to see how black people begin to act a fool as if voting for the president is somehow uh, the most important thing that they can do to help black people. They talk, We're so miseducated about politics and how it operates. Politics uh, doesn't control the resources. The resources controls the politicians. Everyone yes. running for president is a multimillionaire. Everyone running for president is a multimillionaire, every last one of them. None of them are poor. None of them are working class.
3: Politics
5: is nothing more than a private agenda masquerading as a public service. That's all politics is. A private agenda masquerading as a public service. In other words, right. what the rich have to do, because the rich are few, the poor are many. So in order for the rich to carry out their agenda, they have to make sure that the masses have been fooled or brainwashed or conjoined enough into believing that the agenda of the rich is somehow going to serve the needs of the poor or the needs so of the masses.
3: And this the is, of is the illusion of inclusion. The
5: illusion of inclusion. The illusion of inclusion. Because you got to realize something. You can't have democracy and capitalism coexist in the same society. One of them has to be subordinate to the other. Capitalism is the rule of money. Democracy is the rule of the people. You gotcha. can't have rule of money and rule of the people. You can't have that. One takes precedence. So in a democracy, the majority rules in a democracy. But in capitalism, it is the rich who rule. So those two systems are actually at odds with each other. So how do you reconcile that? Having the rich convince the poor that the decisions they make are actually in the best interest of the poor people because America is a representative democracy. It's not a true democracy. True democracy is everybody votes, you count up the votes, that's who becomes president, period. The people choose. That's what they tell you happens, but that's not what happens. America is a representative democracy. That means what? That means that instead of the people choosing directly, they choose the rich people who are going to make the decisions for them.
3: Right. So the you delegates. choose, right.
5: exactly, the delegates, the state senators, the state reps. Remember, the laws for the state aren't made by the people. The laws on the state level are made by the legislature,
3: the state rep
5: and the state mm-hmm. senator. Same thing on the federal level, U.S. Congress. The laws aren't made by the people. The laws are made by the state, the U.S. senators, and the U.S. reps. So you the have the a quote, representative quote, democracy. Right. The exactly,
3: representatives which is nothing more. Right.
5: Exactly. Which is nothing more than the rich to rating as representatives of the poor.
3: Mm.
5: In fact, we could do ourselves a whole lot better if we stop voting for president and start becoming more presidential of our own situation as African people. Do you know how it would terrify the hell out of white folks if not a single black person voted for the presidency? It would scare the hell out of white folks out of the government if no white person voted. You got to realize something. America is a dictatorship masquerading as a democracy. So when people don't vote, what does that mean? What does it that mean working. to the powers that be? It means yes. that you are losing the mental control
3: yes, that so. you have. It's working. Exactly.
5: Exactly. And that's why they're so concerned about the 40% non-vote rate in America. 40% of Americans don't vote, black, white, purple. That's almost half. And to be honest with you, brothers, I think it's greater than that. I would argue, I'm willing to believe that the non-vote rate in America is as great as 60 or 70%. I believe that no more than 30 or 40% of the people in this country actually go out and vote, not just for the president, but for any office. And yeah, the problem that America has is they have to get people re-interested in voting. Because when you don't vote, that means you don't believe in the system. And when you stop believing in the system, you try to overthrow
2: the system.
3: Mm. Right.
2: Spoken like a true psychologist. I, I would gather mm. that that means that you're not feeling the burn. No, <laughs> no
5: not at all. I'm not feeling no, too- him. I'm not feeling Billary, I'm not feeling Trump. I'm not feeling none of them because their agenda for African people is homogenous. You see, nobody's asking them what they plan to do for African people. In fact, they did ask Bernie Sanders. Somebody asked Bernie Sanders something about black, black folk, and guess what he said? He said exactly what I said he would say. He said Obama didn't do anything for African Americans. So that doesn't obligate me to do anything either. That's what Bernie wow. said. and guess what? That's what they all going to say. Every last one of them. Did you ask Obama? Black people have been politically paralyzed now, as it relates to the presidency. You can't act. Yeah. You can't hold none of them accountable. You can't hold none of them accountable for what they do and don't do for us because we didn't uh-huh. hold Obama yeah. accountable.
3: Yeah. If you
5: notice, you don't even hear no talk about the black situation you don't hear no talk about the black situation. Now you see, you know, you see some uh, patronizing going on for the black vote, but that's right. only symbolism. That's empty symbolism. You don't yes. really see no strong agenda behind no what we're going to do for African-Americans because Hey, Obama used American, theory, and black yes. people let him get away with
2: it. And near one of them said that the shootings from the police will stop or the brutality near one of them. It won't even
4: touch and, them. and nobody, it won't even nobody
2: touch them. pushed them to say anything. Nobody pushed them to in say fact,
3: anything. Two, Remember, two things okay? you
5: never
2: hear talked about.
5: Two things you never hear talked about. Not just in presidential election, it could be yeah. governor, it could be state rep, U.S. rep, council person, ward leader, mayor. You never hear anybody talk about changing the miseducation machine, and you never hear any talk uh, talk about anybody changing police brutality. They never talk about yeah. police. They never talk about teachers. Why? Because those are the two largest unions, unions in America. Yes. You see that. White women are the teachers, white men are the cops. They they yep. the wife miseducates your son and then her husband locks your son up. So they don't okay. ever talk about schools and they don't talk about police. They will never touch that. Because in order to black right you have to your children. You have to make sure that there's ample opportunity to arrest them for petty crimes. You can't keep a black underclass unless you have miseducation education in police brutality. Those are your two greatest forms of control, mental control by the schools and physical control by the police.
3: Hmm. That's crazy. I mean,
2: you know, I think that it's just, it's just a way that you analyze things and put them together. You know what I'm saying? You're not a, you don't got to have a 10-minute diatribe to make something so apparently clear. And I think that um, that might be one of the main reasons why you are requested all over the planet for your expertise, brother.
5: I appreciate that, my brother. I appreciate that. And one of the big issues that our people have is understanding racism. They still don't understand white supremacy. Black people still think that white people have to hate you to be a racist. White people ain't got to hate you to be a racist. Hatred Mm -hmm. is personal. Hatred is personal. Racism is about guaranteeing a systematic advantage over all non-white people in the world. It has nothing to do with how they personally feel about you. The average white person don't even know black people. They don't even have a personal relationship with black folks. So racism ain't got nothing to do with a personal feeling. It can. You do have white folks who hate black folks, but you got white folks who don't feel no way about you one way or the other, except that they don't want to lose the white privilege that their skin color provides them with. That is it. And the reason black folks keep on misunderstanding racism is they keep looking at it from emotion. Emotion. Stop thinking that every white person got to hate you. See, this is where black people get confused. Because they'll say, well, I have good white friends. I know white people. They don't hate black people. You know, I work with good white people. They would never do something against me. Okay, you're confusing <laughs> personal. That's personal. That's personal. But that's same yeah. white person who likes you will systematically work against your best interest in order to keep white people in control. It is not about personal relationships. It is about the business of white privilege, and supremacy, and black people need to get that through their mind because that's the biggest reason why many of us still don't understand racism. This is why we still keep looking for good white people because we keep on thinking that they have to hate you in order to work against you. A white person has got to have no negative thought about you whatsoever, and they will still disadvantage you because they have an obligation to their group to guarantee the privilege that they have.
2: Keep in mind, Dr. Umar, I use this analogy. I use the analogy of the actual race. When you realize that this is a proverbial race, and there are races, there's the yellow race, there's the red race, there's the white race, and there's the black race. Every single one of those races are aspiring to be numbered. Everyone wants the gold medal. No one wants to settle for the silver And people goddamn don't want the bronze. So you are in a race with other races. For anyone to help you win a race against their race, something is wrong with them. That's called a race traitor. You can't trust those people. See, you know what I'm saying? Our people
3: are doing a good job. Huh?
5: (laughs) No, I totally agree with that.
2: Totally agree. Our people are in the, our own people are in the race, tripping their own people allowing their opponent, their natural opponent in that race, get to the front of the race. At the time right now, the European is in the front of that race. But please believe he he knows it is some people on his heels. He's not floating in that race. He got a lot of people on his heels right now. So when we realize that this is a race and it has nothing to do with emotions, it has to do with, what Garvey charged us to do. Oh, ye mighty race. When you begin to see it as a race, I don't care about the groups, the bloodline and names. Look, we're in this race together, God damn it. And we know who we running against and we some good runners. So we have to start sprinting. We get caught up in all of these different pathologies about, you know, people's imaginations take over and they get into costumes and outfits and names and labels, they brand themselves, they get lost, not realizing this is a race. We all got to run. So if we're doing all of that to help each other win the race, so be it. But if we're utilizing all of that to trip each other up and to have fights in the middle of a race, it's not going to work because these people are taking off around us. So it's race. Exactly. It's
1: the race.
2: Get to the fucking front of the race. You know get what I'm to saying? the race we, and we stop
5: trying to help everybody vote. win with you. Black people yes. are dead last because we feel guilty and nervous and insecure about, <laughs> about being for ourselves first. Black people about are running still a good hung race. up yeah. over that. You still hear black people say, well, I want to help black people, but I'm not a racist. Why do you have to qualify yourself as not being a racist just for being for your people. Nobody else has that schism. But we have this colorblind schism. We have this multicultural schism. And we got this uh this uh, religious savior complex where we feel we got to save the whole world before we saved ourselves. No other culture is trying to save no other culture but us. No other yeah. culture is trying Jews ain't thinking about Arabs. Arabs ain't thinking about Latinos. Latinos ain't thinking about blacks Chinese ain't think about Mexicans. Mexicans ain't think about Chinese. Nobody has this schism of having to look out for other groups before they save their own except black people. And this has been one of our age-old weaknesses, and we better break out of that shit because if we don't, we'll be exterminated. And all it really is, what it really is, is a self-hatred masquerading as a human interest. It is a self-hatred. In other words, my son is hungry. My son is hungry, but there's 10 other hungry kids on the block.
3: I'm going to mm-hmm. go take
5: my son and go feed everybody else before I feed my own child. That's not love for everybody. That's a hatred for my own flesh. That's what that is. And so black people's humanitarian complex, you got to understand it for what it is. It's not really a humanitarian complex. It is self-hatred masquerading as a human interest because you don't want to admit that you would rather die for anybody else except black people.
3: Mm. Mm. Damn.
2: Um, brother <laughs> Umar, can I take this time and open up the line real
0: quick for our sure. brother Rich? Sure. The third the third pillar. <laughs> Call in the six four six four seven two peace. Yo, you hear me? Yes
7: Latter
0: we do. Latter 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 Latter. Latter.
8: Latter. Oh man, what's up Doctor Umar?
5: Peace and love, my brother. Peace and love to you.
8: Yeah, peace, peace, man. Last time I seen you, man, you was in Harlem, man, and uh, I got a chance to ask you a question. And uh, years, you know, fast forward to now, man. I'm very proud to what you have become, what you have, what you have accomplished. So I just want to say, you know, big ups to Dr. Umar Johns for everything he has done yeah. in his career and everything he has done for uh, black people globally. Um, just yeah. and just and just analyzing uh, everything. <clears throat> just analyzing everything I've heard so far, you know, I'm listening. I got excited when Red and Blue told me he was going to be on the show. And um, I'm asking you, do you think there was some type of divine intervention with, uh, you know, your success, um, you know, as a speaker? And I'm saying to myself, I have the privilege of being uh, somebody who, I filmed your first lecture, Brother Shabazz, one of your first, I'm sorry, one of your first lectures, Brother Shabazz brought you to Brooklyn. Long Island University and I'm like, yeah, I could totally agree with that. Like Brother Umar just skyrocketed. And he was moving like a like a like a fucking locomotive, man. Like it was it was it was a it was a sight to see, like how fast this brother just 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 blew up. Like it's like it's one of the things like imagine watching Steph Curry play. And it's, or, you know, when he had that game versus OKC or watching Kobe drop that 82-point game. And it's like you sit back and you're on the outside from the outside perspective. And you're like, wow, this is a bad motherfucker here. And I'm just watching it. but So so I, I, I'm able to see that from a perspective maybe a lot of other people aren't able to see. But at the same time, I'm also able to see the perspective of uh, white supremacy. And I'm able to see how they basically conquered every facet. If you study Nellie Fuller, study Francis Crest Wilson, I um, mean Dr. Ben, how they was able to conquer globally, everywhere. You know what I say to myself, Dr. Umar? God damn, this had to be some type of divine intervention. The same shit I say when I analyze your, uh, uh, um, your rise. When I analyze their rise, I say, damn, this shit had to be divine intervention. So my question to you, Dr. Umar, is do you agree that it had to be some type of divine intervention? And if so, what was the reason for that divine intervention? Was it us uh, black people a lesson? Because they just – I don't understand how they were able to just get into – I mean, you go to Australia, you go to New Zealand, you go to Africa, you go to Europe, you go to Asia, you go to America, you go to Mexico, you go to Alaska. I mean, you, you, it goes on and on and on. So do you see the connection between – uh a divine intervention and white supremacy and if so what was the what's the reason for that do you think right I, I i don't think that his rise was
5: due directly to divine intervention um i believe that the white man benefited from an unfortunate circumstance in history which was the development of military technology I believe that because his unique biopsychology coming out of the ice age, I think he was able to take advantage of the military technology in a way no other group of human beings could because he was so inhumane. So when he, so remember, Africans invented gunpowder. Gunpowder comes out of Africa. The African blowgun is one of the oldest guns in civilization. So we had gunpowder first but we were never interested in using it for genocidal reasons. But the white man came along and he invented the science of genocide or the systematic extermination of entire human populations. So what you have is a demonic mind that meets a technology that gives full reign to demonic tendencies. So it's like a killer who finds the perfect weapon. And so Mm -hmm. in being able to harness that gunpowder and being able to harness the use of the bomb and harness the use of the firearm and couple that with his psychology, which basically is a narcissistic, non-empathic, non-humanistic type of a mindset, he was able to conquer the world. Sun Tzu said that if you know your enemy and know yourself in a thousand battles, you will never be conquered. You have to know your enemy and know yourself. The white man took Africa because we did not understand him. We knew ourselves, but we didn't know him. But the white man
3: knew himself and he knew us. He knew us. He knew knew that we were the
5: humanitarian. He knew we would love him even though he hated us. He knew that we would try to find peace. With people who only appreciate war He knew us And because he knew us He was able to dominate the continent Well guess what That same science applies to the here and now The same That's why we were talking about white racism earlier Because until we understand that white man We can study everything about African history Everything about African spirituality Everything about African culture Everything about the African family Everything about African economics We can study ourselves all we want But Sun Tzu said you got to know yourself and the enemy. And unfortunately, the average African on the planet, I don't care if it's America, Africa, Jamaica, Canada, we still don't know our enemy. And until we perfect that part of our political education, until we begin to master white supremacy, until we master white supremacy, we will never be able to overcome racism because we're only dealing with the mastery of self without dealing with the mastery of our enemy.
3: Now, you know, it, if
2: you yeah, take the approach where, you know, they say that we are the original man, so if there is an enemy, that enemy has to be self because the European is only, uh, you know, an external uh, exemplification of your lower self. If you go through the process of mastering yourself do you by proxy also learn and master your enemy, or is this
3: a whole Without different dynamic?
5: Especially if that enemy is a direct descendant of who you are. See, here, here's the way I see it. Even if the European is not a biological derivative of the African, even if he is not a mutated original man,
3: he still
5: represents the lower nature of humankind whether he comes from you or not don't even matter he represents the opposite side of reality and because he represents the lower nature of humankind he has to be dominated so that that lower nature can never ever be given expression to again so i believe a reason for everything in existence including the white man see one thing about african spirituality we're taught that God is the creator of the positive and the negative. Both worlds are created by the hand of the Almighty, both worlds. So the evil and the good. So the white man is as much a creation of supreme consciousness as the black man. So why does he exist? I believe in everything I've studied, every meditation I have, I believe the white man was created to force the black man to manifest his divine self. I believe the white man is there. To force you and me
0: to prove
5: God. I believe he is the eternal test for the black man to prove what the black man can really be, which can only happen by dominating the Europeans. Because as long as he exists, you can never be the man you're supposed to be. I can never be the man I'm supposed to be. Collectively, he is the blockage. So in order for us to manifest God, in order for us to manifest God, we're going to have to destroy the devil facts he's a god blocker this is new name the white man is the god blocker
2: <laughs>
3: the god blocker His we've coined the new term god
2: i want to god. coin another term while we're,
3: we're
2: at, at it right and that is the um, the disillusion of exclusion. And you're kind of harping on it right now when you're talking about the uh, collective divine role that he plays. Like they said that the story of Jesus would have been complete without Judas, so Judas was just as important as Jesus, right? And we're talking about a narrative. We're talking about a story. And we're saying that those polar opposites or that dichotomy work to bring about the final result of what people today consider so divine and holy. Right? And that's
5: the balance of all creation. The laws of Tahuti. The laws of Tahuti. For every positive charge, there's a negative charge. Everything has its opposite in nature. Everything has its opposite in nature. Why would it not be so for the black man
2: as well? Right. Is it the proverbial protagonist and antagonist? It to exist. Yeah, so it could have been the black man and the purple man, or it could have been the black man and the green man. It's just exactly. the white man. He's the protect. Yeah, he. We, it's just the story. So knowing that, fam, we don't have any aversions to him. The way that you measure God is by measuring yourself against him. You know what he does. You know what he's about. The way that you are able to measure the heights of who you are, whether you're in your higher self or not is that you measure yourself against the shit that he's doing. Unfortunately, the way that they have our people now, we have become them. So there's no measuring beyond the European because people have, we, we've we been on our knees for so long, Negroes that we're underneath them. So that's what we're doing with this information. We're lifting our people back up on their feet, so they're able to measure themselves against the Europeans. He's the measuring stick. How could God know that he, who who the hell he is without the devil being here? How the hell could a black man qualify saying that he's the God unless there was a devil on this planet? Could we get past that? That's the thing that I'm talking about. How did our community who were being taught through all of the teachers that the devil devours planets, you, you feel what I'm saying? That this is a beast That's for course. millions of years. We fell out when he killed one of us. We have occupied time and space and real estate in our minds over one, when, when a policeman shoots one of us and then we hold our breath until a guilty verdict comes down. But we spent all of this time learning about these people who devour universes though. That's what I'm <laughs> talking about. That That's not productive. That's a pathology that we have to begin to even, you, you feel what I'm saying? It's a technology that they're playing, and they're sticking people in the times that they're playing mental games, man. It's real deep, right. you know.
5: It's almost it's like if you take uh, Floyd Mayweather, yes, yeah. Floyd Mayweather, and or you take Mike Tyson and his prime, Muhammad Ali. When you go into the ring to box one of them three, their reputation has preceded them so powerfully into that ring that you're already half defeated when they get I into the ring, it. because you have to fight the psychology of their
3: reputation. Mm-hmm. The you fear, right. And
5: and, and and it's the fear of the reputation. You don't even, you can't even concentrate on fighting the man. Yeah, You're still caught up in the image of the man. And that is black yeah. people versus white people. We're so mm. caught up in his reputation. We're so caught up in his image. We're so uh, caught up in the legacy. We're so caught up in the mythology of the white man that we fail to see that he is a mortal like anyone else.
3: He has so
5: propagated his Superman shit into our
3: consciousness
5: that we're so caught up in what he he has espoused to be true as opposed to actually evaluating whether it's true or not.
2: Yes, indeed. I speak about uh, it often. It's white male masculinity mm -hmm. that was... um, it was it was it was masterfully marketed to us. I grew up off of He-Man, um, Superman, of Hazz- you know what I'm saying? Dukes Hazard, Bionic Man, you know what I'm saying? uh uh All of them. The Westerns the Western well, not Nothing New more masculine.
5: than the deification of white masculinity. Superheroes but, are nothing more than the deification of white masculinity. Batman great. and and Batman and Superman and Thor, okay, these caricatures, these superheroes in the realm of children and in the realm of of make-believe, they are the equivalent to Jesus and Muhammad. And this is in no disrespect to religion. I'm trying to draw a parallel that they are the deities of children's minds. Batman is more critical to a child's mind than whatever religion his parent belongs to. Superman is more critical to the child's mind than whatever, you know, their parents want them to understand. Superheroism, the cartoon world, is nothing but the deification of white masculinity. And when you look at black homosexuality then, black homosexuality then, you have to look at why would a man, the white man has portrayed himself to be so great. The white man has portrayed himself to be great, be so great, that even the black man wants to be his bitch. Look at that. I would rather be your woman than be your adversary. I would rather reinvent myself as a female so I don't have to justify why I let you rule
3: over. Hmm. you
5: You would not have the degree of black male homosexuality you have in the United States or anywhere in the black world, for that matter, if you didn't have the degree of white supremacy, if black men were allowed to be men in the fullest expression of the word, you would not have what? this homosexual complex. This let's, homosexual complex yes. is a direct result of the psychological castration of black males by white America
2: without. Now, let's get into it because. You know, this is a number another topic that you have been criticized for to the public, right? Is the argument saying that the people want clinical proof of what it is that you're saying? Are they saying that this ideology that you're positing has no merit? Therefore, you know, you're being cast as a homophobe and things of that nature. Do people are people even willing to look at what you're saying? No, they're not willing... The fact that you're saying it.
5: Well, you got to deal with black people you got to deal with white people. With black people, first of all, the number one characteristic of mental illness is denial. Yes. Denial. Before somebody can receive treatment, they got to get over their denial. You got to admit that you're addicted to alcohol before you can do something about it. So when you're dealing with homosexuality, you're dealing with trauma. You are dealing with a deep-seated trauma. And what you have to realize is that I would rather many homosexuals or lesbians would rather argue that I was born this way than to have to take a look in my painful past and admit that the way I am is an outgrowth of what I experienced. See, when you go through a trauma, you don't like to go through it again. When a woman was when a woman is raped, she don't want to have to go and relive that again. When a man is Uh, sexually abused by another male, that is a painful experience. You don't ever want to have to look back at that and then say, you mean to tell me that that played a role into what I am now? It would be much better to live the lie. It would be a lot less painful to simply say that I'm this way because I was born this way as opposed to linking it to that childhood trauma. So we have to look at it as a defense mechanism. The denial of homosexuality having been triggered by early life life traumatic experiences or even later life traumatic experiences, the denial of that is symptomatic of mental illness in and of itself, which is to say we'll never be able to help homosexual and lesbian brothers and sisters as long as the white man is shouting in their ear telling them that they were born this way. And see, for me personally, I don't even think black people should have a conversation about homosexuality with white people. Because behavior is culturally determined. All behavior is culturally determined. So if behavior is culturally determined, the white man has no business telling the black man what is normal and abnormal behavior. And likewise, we have no right to tell him what is normal and abnormal behavior in his community. So for us, asexual relationship is unhealthy from an African perspective. It is unhealthy. Why do I say that? I say that because there's not a single African civilization you can show, ever, and I challenge anyone, ever show me a single African civilization on the face of the world, anywhere, call it indigenous, what you want to call it, native, whatever you want to call it. Show me a society ran by the original African-skinned people of this planet where homosexuality and or lesbianism and or transsexualism and or bisexualism was openly practiced, legally allowed, and was codified by law. Let me say that again. Show me where we ever allowed homosexuality to be openly practiced, legally allowed, and was codified by law, which means you were allowed to marry someone of the same gender. Show me that. And I've been challenging homosexual brothers and sisters since we've been having these debates to show me evidence of an African society where gay marriage was allowed or where gay behavior was allowed to be legally practiced. You can't show me that. That's not a part of the African reality. And when you understand African spirituality, you understand why. Because we believe in the complementarity and divinity of opposites. Our culture is based on balance. Everything about African culture is based on balance. For every positive, there's a negative. For every masculine, there's a feminine. For the yin, there's a yang. That's African culture. It's complementarity. So if God created man, woman is the natural complement because only through woman and man do you get procreation. Procreation is natural. Everything that exists procreates. So if two men cannot procreate, if two women cannot procreate, that is abnormal because it is unnatural. Right. So there's no evidence. But when you go to European culture, their whole culture has largely been based upon the complementarity of similars and not opposites. Napoleon was gay. Julius Caesar was gay. Alexander the Great was gay. Epictetus was gay. Socrates was gay. Plato was gay. The Roman Catholic Church was founded on a hatred for the for women. That's why the priests are not allowed to get married, because the women are considered the rebels. So you've got to realize something. Mm-hmm. The white man is anti-nature. Anything he does is ant- – listen, why does he create genetically modified organisms? There's nothing wrong with the organisms we got. Why he got to genetically modify them? Because he's anti-nature. Why he has to manipulate the seasons of the year? Why he got to turn summer into winter and fall into spring? Why can't he just let it be? Because he's anti-nature. Why he wants men to be with man and women to be with woman? Because he's anti-nature. Look at the Europeans' entire cycle history. Everything he has ever done has been anti-nature. Homosexuality is just one more example of him being the mutant that he is.
3: Now,
2: when that particular mutation becomes part of a genetic disposition of a people, and we're talking about our people in this particular case, and we see the numbers that we see, and we can say that this is signaling, you know, the end of a cycle, or something that is being transmutated from one thing to another, what that thing is, I'm not quite sure. But as we share space here in this particular country, as we share ideology, as we share all of these things that we're sharing and we're seeing the effects of these things, just like our people are eating these GMOs, our people are becoming genetically modified, okay? Is it even plausible to say that this condition can be clinically reversed or do we have to press the button at this point and start over somewhere else? Are these because they have evolved from that particular route or would it be more so wise to identify them where they're at right now and the mutation that they're going through?
5: I think you have to identify them where they're at right now. See, here's my thing, and I go back to something that Dr. Ben said, rest in peace, you know. He said that sometimes we give so much attention to the white man's origin where he said he don't think it's necessary. He said, I understand what the white man is here and now. I understand what he's doing. I understand what he did. I understand how he treats me. So it doesn't matter what his origin is. Let's say you got a brother
9: or a sister or a
5: cousin or aunt or uncle. Y'all blood-related. You can prove it. Y'all got the same DNA, the same chromosome, the same blood type, but guess what? They are not living in accordance with the life that you're trying to espouse. does it matter that you're related. They still have to be excommunicated from the family because they are a threat to the success of the family. So even if the white man was at one time a member of the human family, it does not matter. His behavior is inconsistent with the best interests of African people. And because of that, whether he comes from me or not, he will no longer be allowed to be amongst me.
2: I'm also was making references to the quote-unquote Africans amongst us that are participating Ah, in this particular activity and that are at the forefront of of normalizing these particular movements and this pathology in the open space. For instance, Black Lives Matter.
5: I personally think that Black Lives Matter, and I hope I'm wrong, and I say this in all due respect to those who belong to it. I know a lot of good brothers and sisters who are part of Black Lives Matter, so this is a no uh, negative characterization of them per se. But having studied the history of the lesbians and feminists who founded that organization, and I say this in due respect to them, seeing that they are being financed by some powerful white forces, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that they are not being used by the American power structure to hijack the black revolutionary struggle so that it can serve a homosexual end. Because Black Lives Matter, they're getting the press, they're getting the attention, they're getting the write-ups, and they're getting the funding. We understand white supremacy, and white supremacy does not fund any institution that it considers to be a threat. So when I look at Black Lives Matter and the funding that it gets, I'm concerned. I'm not saying it's true. I'm still doing my research, but I'm concerned that they are being used to ultimately confuse our young people into what RBG is all about and to be brainwashed into thinking that LBGT is the new RBG. Because I'm seeing a confusion that is taking place between the black LBGT and the black RBG. The black RBG that is heterosexual. And then you have the LBGT. And with Black Lives Matter being funded by feminists and lesbians, founded by feminists and lesbians, I think this is a perfect opportunity for the American power structure to redirect the focus of black revolutionary struggle Mm -hmm. and activity away from away from the freedom struggle and redirected onto the freedom struggle for gays and lesbians. And I hope black lives matter don't allow themselves to be used for that purpose, because I'm concerned that that could very much be what's going on here. Remember white folks, they don't like to destroy the movement. They like to hijack the movement. They don't like to destroy the movement. They like to hijack the movement. Is black lives matter being used to hijack, the black consciousness movement and redirect it into sexually confused channels. I'm concerned that that might be the case.
2: Omar, I was told this weekend by a brother, he said he read the mission statement on their website and it stated in all clear, bold letters what it is that you just said. I'm I'm on the website right now and I'm looking for it. I'll let you know. I'll read it to the family and um, let you know what it says. But everything that you just said, he was like, yo, it was all in the in the mission statement. And, and, they were and, and not only that, Phil,
5: going back to what you said earlier about yeah. the criticism that I receive, the criticism mm-hmm. that I receive from the LBGD community isn't so much because I disagree with the lifestyle. The religion of Islam disagrees with the lifestyle. The Roman Catholic Church disagrees with the lifestyle. There's over 14 different white Christian denominations that disagree with the lifestyle. Most major religions in the world do not approve of same-sex marriage. So Dr. Umar's view is no different than all of these established institutions, but they don't attack these established institutions. Why they don't attack the religion of Islam for not accepting gay marriage? Because it's not about that. They are opposed to me because I refuse to allow them to draw a parallel between the gay stu- the gay struggle and the black struggle, that is their main issue. I will not let them hijack the black freedom struggle to serve a gay agenda. That's why they can't stand me. As I always say, homosexuals were not systematically enslaved. Homosexuals were not systematically dehumanized. Homosexuals are not systematically Jim Crow. Homosexuals are not systematically exterminated by the American police force. How in the hell are you going to confuse being gay?
3: Mm -hmm.
5: One is a state of being. The other is a behavior. Don't you ever confuse who I am with what you do. What you do is what you do. Who I am is what I am. Mm. But you got to realize, in white strategy, white political strategy, the black agenda can never be the primary agenda. This is where this comes from. The black agenda can never be the primary agenda. What do I mean? I mean that white folk always have to come up with a minority issue that it's willing to give attention to so that it can take attention away from racism as a primary issue in this country so they have to put it on latinos they have to put it on gays they have to put it on women they have to put it on immigrants they have to put it on animals they have to put it on the physically handicapped they have to put it on saving the environment they have to put it on uh 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 what they call that uh the rays of the sun what do they call that
1: uh
5: ah when they say that the the uh what is that uh, the, what? the toxicity, when oh. they say eroding the environment, eroding climate the uh, change, Climate change, global warming. Go. They got to put it on climatology. Carbon there emissions. Always, yes, there you go. There
0: yeah, there you go.
5: Exactly. Exactly. To eat away at the ozone layer. So if you notice, every time you watch the news, talk about some great issue,
2: biggest some threat, great yeah. social
5: issue that we have to put our attention on to keep it off of black folks. Homosexuality is one of those issues. That's why Obama gave it so much attention. Obama put his attention on gay people, so he didn't have to put his attention on black people.
3: On black people, yep.
5: You see that? And black folks is crazy because we running around worshiping Obama. This Negro ignored you and gave all his attention during his first term to gay people, and was never criticized by a single black person. While the police are killing black men going out of black, going out of style, he's signing laws for gay folks. Yep. See that and, and and the next president gonna do the same thing. Hillary, Trump, it don't matter. They gonna find it, they're gonna put it on the gay folks. That's see Trump doesn't support a homosexuality. But he might change that. He might end up changing that. They might tell him he's gonna to have to change that. Because remember when Hillary ran against Obama, Hillary and Obama during the Democratic primary, they were both against gay marriage. They were both against it. Now they both are for it. You see. So Trump, Trump will end up Trump, changing his tune yeah. as well. But we gotta realize you know, that we cannot let them We cannot let them give their attention to another minority issue. We are the non-white issue, and we're not minorities, but we are the non-white issue. And this is where black people make the fatal mistake of fighting and championing other issues above and beyond the black agenda. You don't have time to fight for gay people. You don't have time to fight for Latinos. You don't have time to fight for the female issue, this whole feminist thing that a lot of our sisters are caught up in. You're not oppressed because you're a woman. You're oppressed because you are black. You're not oppressed because you're gay. You're oppressed because you
8: are black.
2: Indeed. Now, um, the LBGT community, and we speak about feminists uh, in particular, we know that you always come under fire. For whatever reason, by these um, these organizations, these people, these groups, these new faces
5: okay. of white supremacy, because you know that's faces. what they are. Right.
3: These are the new, new faces. faces of white
5: supremacy. Listen, we're not going to fight. We're not going to fight black people with the white supremacist boxing gloves. That don't work no more. We cannot mm-hmm. attack black people in the open with white pride. We can't do that. That was the '60s. So how are we going to attack black folks? We have to make the black folks look like they're the perpetrators of discrimination and bigotry. You see that? We're going to make the victims look like they're the perpetrators. So instead of attacking Dr. Umar for being an outspoken black man, we're going to attack Dr. Umar for being against homosexuality. We're going to attack Dr. Umar for being against feminism. We're going to attack Dr. Umar for being against multiculturalism. It's the same white supremacy. It's just wearing a different glove. But it's the right. same white supremacy, the same fist with a different color glove. It's the iron hand inside of that velvet
3: wrapping.
2: Indeed. Now, as you um, yourself personally experienced something, what was it, about a year ago, evolving a young woman? Oh, yes, the lesbian
5: sister who came to my Kansas City, Missouri Black History lecture, uh, 2014 Black History Month, a year ago. Well, actually, I guess that's two years ago now, because I think that was February. We just did, wait a minute, we just did February 2016. You're right, February 2015, a year ago, a year ago.
2: Yes. I'm making reference to her, um, as well as something that you went through in the public, with a young woman as well um, that, you know what I'm saying, people caught wind of by way of social. Yes, that young woman yes, right there. When you step back and you analyze both of these situations, the, the video that went viral, where you exchanging with the sister from the LBGT community, right. as well as the conscious stripper, and some of the criticism that was lobbied your way, by people that felt, thought that you should have dealt with it differently, right, right? your observation, through your time that you've had with yourself to sit with yourself and analyze these things, especially the fact that there's so many young people that come to me and they speak about what they were able to extract from you by ways by way of your lectures on relationships, right? You know what I'm mean? um, saying? I know sisters me, that okay. hold on. Let me let me just. I know sisters who left the strip club. And got into consciousness based on some of those lectures. Yes? You know sir. What I'm saying? As yes, as sir. you've had time to develop and analyze these situations and you've obviously rebounded from them, in retrospect, what have your thoughts been? Would you have done anything different?
5: Um, well, you can't for me, I would have a difficult time of holding someone responsible for something they didn't know. So As it relates to the situation, uh, the relationship situation, I wasn't given informed consent about the person's profession. So for me, I can't really be held accountable for not knowing something that I should have knew. The manner in which we met, you know, I didn't meet her at a strip club. I've never been to a strip club. I'm 41 years old. I've never been to a strip club in my life. So I didn't meet her under those circumstances. Um, as was erroneously put out in a video that one of the uh, conscious folks did misrepresenting that whole situation, trying to exploit it for his own personal advantage. But I didn't meet her under those circumstances. And it wasn't disclosed to me until later exactly what the real profession was. Um, You know, for me, I wouldn't be mean or judge any black woman, whether they was a stripper or not. They're still my sisters. I'm still going to love every last one of them. Um, so for me I don't necessarily mean that I don't I don't think that necessarily means that a woman is less than worthy of being dated because she was one. Uh, being who I am and what I represent, um, it would have been a conflict of interest for my principal. But at the same time, once you enter into a relationship with somebody, you know, and you find out something you didn't know, you still have to put it within context because you haven't already crossed a certain line. And being the man that I am, I just can't discontinue a relationship I had with a woman because I found out some unfavorable information. There needs to be a period where I analyze this and decide how I'm going to move forward with this situation. So with that being said, two people uh, who are unmarried, who voluntarily of their own free will, consent to spending time with with one another, that's their own business. And it should have never been made a public issue because it was a private matter. That's all I would say to that. Um, as far as everything that grew out of that, um, I, I think a lot of people um, in the conscious community tried to use that um, as a weapon to try to destroy me. A lot of people did. Um, but, again, my support. Like I said, for every hater I got, I got 10,000 supporters. So, you know, everybody had fun with it. You know, a lot of people made a lot of videos, and I'm glad they did because I never worked with them because of that. I don't, I don't do betrayal at all. For the people who stayed out of it, there was a lot of people who stayed out of it and didn't say nothing. And some of those people aren't people I particularly care for, but I respect them because they respected me enough to say, you know what, I'm not going to keep a man when he's down, he's going through that, I'm going to let that pass. They kept their mouth shut. Other opportunists couldn't wait to jump on it, and I'm glad they did because it showed me who they were. But it was definitely a learning situation for me. Basically, it taught me that you better be careful out here, that there's people who are going to try to come into your personal space with no other other reason than to destroy you. It did teach me a very serious lesson. As far as the situation, and that's been a year now. Um, obviously, it seems like it was yesterday because some people won't let it die, but it's been a year. It's old. It ain't even worth talking about no more. But the situation with the uh, sister at the Kansas City, Missouri lecture, she was a lesbian sister. She was a part of the LBGT movement. And to be honest with you, I didn't take exception to her because she was respectable. She didn't try to bogart my lecture. She waited until q and A. I I gave her the floor. She asked her questions. I answered them in a very respectable manner, and that was the end of it. I can tolerate that. I can tolerate that because, I mean, she was a little emotional, and I don't think that she was the best person that the LBGT movement could have sent to question me. I thought they would have sent me someone who was a little bit more savvy, a little bit more informed, and a little bit more clever with their questions and responses. That sister there, an intelligent sister, but that sister there was very emotional. And because she was so emotional, I don't think she was able to uh, converse with me in a way that would have been beneficial to the agenda that she was trying to promote. Be that as it may, believe it or not, just to tell you how small the world is we live in, that same sister from the Kansas City Lecture and alum of a university that I spoke at recently, and I don't want to call the name. She contacted the university at which I served as a keynote speaker, and she tried to get them to disinvite me as their keynote, citing that I don't agree with the LBGT lifestyle. So that's a situation that happened in February. But we're talking recently that that same sister just a few months ago tried to get a lecture of mine canceled at her alma mater, because I didn't agree with her. And that's my issue with the LBGTs. Why can't we agree to disagree? I just had that at the University of New Mexico. They tried to stop me from coming to the University of New Mexico, which they couldn't do because freedom of speech. And when I go to universities, I don't discuss homosexuality anyway. That is not a topic I discuss at universities out of respect, because I know it's going to be a lot of them there, and I don't want to get the people who invited me to the university into hot water. So I don't talk about it anyway. So, After they were unsuccessful in getting the university to disinvite me, they then put forth an invitation wanting me to come and meet with them. Now, if they would have did that first, I would have done it because I'm not afraid of y'all. I've been on homosexual radio shows. If it's going to be a respectful dialogue, it's going to be a respectful dialogue. I'm not going to disrespect me. You're not going to disrespect you. They would have invited me. But you know what they did? They tried to stop me from coming to the university. Only after they were unsuccessful at stopping me from coming to the university did they then invite me in for a dialogue. How dare you invite me after you try to destroy the event? That's the part that I can't tolerate. And so I chose not to meet with them because they only did it after they were unsuccessful in getting me invited to speak at the university. Homosexuality and this whole L thing, it's the first social movement in American history it's the first social movement in American history that you are not allowed to disagree with. Have you noticed that? You can disagree with somebody's religion. You can disagree with their ideology. You can disagree with their political preference. You can disagree with their opinions on anything in America, but you are not allowed to disagree with gay people. And I'll be damned if anybody tells me I don't have a right to disagree with that. I do not believe a Why? man has any business it's... laying with a man the way he lays with a woman.
2: With yeah. Your analysis of American history, you know, melanated American history for that matter. Why do you think that is that they have been able to formulate such a strong base against any level of opposition?
5: Because they're being funded by the government itself. The corporations of America are all pro-homosexual because the corporations of America are all pro-population control. This homosexual agenda is nothing more than the social engineering of the global black community for population extermination. That is all this is. This is a eugenics social experiment, and black folks don't even see it. This ain't about sex. This ain't about equality. This ain't about marriage. This ain't about love. This is about getting rid of black people by convincing their children to not reproduce. That's what this is about. Combat it Through education and socialization. It's going to be hard to combat this without our own schools because they are indoctrinating the children at second and third grade. They're indoctrinating them younger and younger. And whoever, see, here's the thing about human conditioning in the brain. Whoever controls the brain from 5 to 15 is going to control that person almost to the day that they die. Whoever controls the brain from 5 to 15 is going to pretty much control the way that person thinks. So they're indoctrinating our children in kindergarten and first and second grade with gay life. Why is a second grader being taught about gay love? I just had a parent text me yesterday a picture that was hanging up in his child's classroom where they had a big gay flag talking about gay love. Why are you telling this to seven-year-olds yet? They're not even old enough. They're not even interested sexually in the opposite sex. They're not even interested sexually in the opposite sex. That's not a feeling that begins to arrive until your prepubescent years, 10 years old, 9 and 10, but you're giving them that at 6, 7, and 8. Why are you doing that? They're not even interested in romance at that age because you're trying to condition them. Behavioral psychology, behavioral psychology, which, by the way, which, by the way, was birthed in the 60s talk about conditioning black people. Behavioral psychology was birthed in the 60s. It deals with engineering human consciousness to serve political ends. In other words, one of the white fathers of behavioral psychology said, "Give me a child. Give me a child at any age and I can make them whatever you want me whatever you want them to be. You want them to be a doctor? I will make a doctor. You want them to be a killer? I can make a killer. I can engineer that child's brain to become whatever you want them to be purely through conditioning and exposure, images, and sound. It is a fact brothers and sisters that you can make a child into anything you want by controlling their environment. And if they want more gay black kids, they can make more gay black kids by conditioning them and indoctrinating them in the early years of their life.
2: That's what the same thing. Funny enough, that's the same thing. The church says, you know, give them the child for the first seven years. Because I mean the, the the science of that is the, um, the development, the brain development of a child is susceptible to programming for the first seven years. They're just absorbing,
3: they're exactly. absorbing
2: what what it is that you're feeding them, and they're developing what will become their predisposed signals at that point. So ninety five percent of their life is going to be run from the subconscious, only five percent from the conscious. We put a lot of <laughs> we put a lot of um, emphasis on the conscious community, but that is um, just 5% of your, your, your natural everyday performance, your being, and it's masculine. So exactly balance is the subconscious, which is the feminine. And um, that's what we're not putting the emphasis on, but the program is, that's what they focus on. That's how they get in our children. So, What I want to know is that if we are identifying the fact that these signals are taking place from external
3: influences
2: and, you know, per my belief, internal influences as well by way of diet and things of that nature, you know, how is one to assure that even if they create an institution that is separate from the westernized institution, as long as it's in the West, is it still not susceptible to some level of programming? So, if you have an all-boy school, how are you going to be able to exclude those factors from that environment?
5: Uh, I wouldn't seek to exclude the so-called gay kids from the school because I know that a gay black kid is only a confused black kid. So, I believe through the strength of the context, through the strength of the curriculum, through the strength of the example, and through the strength of the alpha maleism that will be on show at the school i believe that we will be strong enough to pull any young man who's questioning his sexual identity out of such a situation so for me i would welcome the gay boys uh when we open up the girls school i would welcome the lesbian sisters because they're just confused they are just confused and i believe that they can be wo- woken up out of their confusion just like any of us can be woken up out of our confusion see that whole homosexuality thing that's just one of the many branches of post-traumatic slave disorder it's just one of the many branches now can everybody be totally rehabilitated? And for the record, I wanna I wanna I wanna I wanna make sure people are clear on what rehabilitation means. Rehabilitation does not mean removal. Rehabilitation means making the person conscious of their disability and improving their ability to control it. So for example, God forbid, if you in a car accident and you lose a finger, okay, we can't grow you another finger, we can probably put a false one on there. But you'll never have your original hand, so your rehabilitation is going to be teaching you how to work that hand without having all of your fingers there or all of your natural. Rehabilitation doesn't mean that you can remove it. So there were some people who uh, have misinterpreted some of the things I've had to say on homosexuality. They said, well, Dr. Umar said you can heal or you can treat homosexuality. You can treat anything. That doesn't mean you're going to remove the condition. To rehabilitate is not to repair. To rehabilitate is to make the client conscious of their issue and teach them how to live with it. For example, you go to Alcohol Anonymous. The Alcohol Anonymous treatment program is based on the fact that you will never, ever, totally get over your alcoholism. And because of that, they have settled on a zero uh, acceptance of alcohol. They don't drink at all because they look at it from the disease model. Alcoholism is is a disease. You will always have it, and you you have to control your disease. So when they rehabilitate you, They did not repair your alcoholism. They taught you how to work with it. And so when I talked about rehabilitation and homosexuality, people who are not expert in mental health, they did not understand what rehabilitation means. Rehabilitation is not the same as repair, you see. It is not the same as heal. It is a totally different connotation. But going back to your earlier question, something you said earlier about can these people be healed, having never been homosexual, I can never say that a man or a woman can be totally uh, eradicated of those desires. But what I can say is this. Homosexuals exist on a spectrum, just like autism. It's a spectrum. You have people who are merely questioning their identity. You have people who uh, have been molested and feel a, uh, they they feel an impulse but they haven't acted on it. You have people who have been engaged in a homosexual relationship since young as they can remember, it is a spectrum. And because homosexuality and lesbianism is a spectrum, I cannot paint it with a broad brush, you see, just like with mentally retarded people. Somebody who is mild mentally retarded, they'll be able to be trained to do some things that somebody who is profoundly mentally retarded never could be. So I believe that there's a group of homosexuals out there who cannot be rehabilitated who can never be taught how to control that impulse or is never acted on. I believe there's another group of them out there who can receive treatment and assistance to the point that they will never think about it, they will never engage in it again because it was not that intense in their life. So when we approach the treatment of homosexuality, you cannot do it with a broad brush. You have to look at all the varying types of experiences and personalities that exist Under the homosexual umbrella For example A kid who was molested yesterday And he begins to have thoughts Of having sex again with another man I do not believe That that there's no hope for that young man He hasn't acted on it It's impulse It's psychological It's not action yet I think there's a lot more hope for him Than for another young man Who'd have been in 10, 20 different homosexual relationships That's a totally different ballgame So I think we got to be careful Of painting everyone with the broad brush when you're dealing with such a complex situation like that, you know, it's a very complex situation, so it cannot be reduced to a one plus one equals two. There's a lot of gray uh, when you deal with, with,
2: with mental health. Right. Now, as someone such as yourself that takes a clinical approach towards things based on your schooling and your education, how do you also balance that with the spiritual import of your discipline system, your faith system, you know what I'm saying? what the ancestors have prepared for you, like, is there a spiritual imperative that goes into looking at these particular cases? Uh, Do some of these people, are some of these people possessed with some of these spirits?
5: I believe that some of them could be uh, possessed with spirits. Without question, I believe that. But I don't think that's the majority. If I had to quantify it, if I had to quantify, let's cut the cake up. I'm going to say 60% Of all gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, African people, because that's all I'm talking about, 60% of them, their sexuality is a direct result of trauma, whether that's pedophilia, molestation, rape, psychological castration, okay? It's trauma that brought that on. Fatherlessness, motherlessness, incest, it was trauma. 60% 60% of our people who are sexually confused, it is direct result of trauma. That leaves us 40%. Okay. I'm going to say 15% of that remaining 40%, I'm going to say 15% of them were, uh, it could be what you just talked about, the spiritual piece. 15% of them might be due to a spiritual disorder, for lack of a better word, 15%. So now we got 60 plus 15 at 75. That last quarter order, I'm going to say that that was due to them being turned out by other people who are already in the lifestyle. I work in the schools, and I can tell you that in the schools, there's gay gangs, there's lesbian gangs. And a lot of children who are not popular, I've seen this myself. See, one thing about me, a lot of my information is informed by my own experience because I've been doing this for almost 20 years. So as a lot of people say, well, we want to see the research. And by the way, when they say they want to see the research, what they're really saying operationally defined is I want you to find me a white person who wrote an article in some some peer-reviewed research journal that agrees with you. So I'm somebody who always refutes the research. I'm not interested in what some white person said about black people. I don't need a white doctor. I'm a doctor. Why do I need a white psychologist to verify what I said? My own experience is sufficient enough to back up my premises and positions. You see, so when people say, well, we want to see where he gets his research from, I'm not going to get you no research because I don't see the need to find anybody to corroborate what I said. I'm speaking from direct experience with the population in question. That's totally different from somebody who works at a college and does little research studies where they go into the ghetto and work with gay black people and then go back to the college and write up a paper. You're talking about somebody who's in the ghetto every day working with these populations. Same thing with ADHD. I'm working with the boys. I don't need to read no research. I know what's making them think. I know why they're doing what they're doing. I know their parents, you see. And so that last, what I was about to say, that last piece is uh, gay people who were turned out. By other gays and as I was starting to say that In the high schools we got a lot of gay gangs And what they do is they recruit Socially isolated less than popular children I'm going to say it again Socially isolated less than Popular children and if there's any parent listening to the interview tonight If you are the parent of a socially Isolated arms wrapped around that child Because guess what Bill If I'm a socially isolated less than popular Ninth grader and I'm being bullied And picked on the athletes don't like me None of the pretty girls like me. If the gay Boy gang comes to say, hey, why don't you hang with us? No, they're not going to initially introduce sex to me. They're not going to do that. But slowly but surely, they'll start letting me see some of the stuff that they do. And slowly but surely, by being around that environment, I will grow to accept it because it's my everyday experience. And the next thing you know, one of them are coming on to me. And I know this because children have told me. Dr. Umar, I wasn't molested or none of that. You know, I started hanging around them, and I just became a part of the group because I wanted to fit in. Yes, you can become homosexual through peer pressure. Yes, you can. You can become a drug addict through peer pressure. You can become a gang member through peer pressure. You can become a murderer through peer pressure. You will kill to fit in. How many gangs require people to take the life of somebody they don't even know just to prove their loyalty? So you mean to tell me somebody will kill to be a part of the gang But they won't engage in sodomy To be a part of the gang Not at all A lot of our children Are turned out Into the lifestyle And the more and more We let them get indoctrinated The more and more We let the curriculum Hit them in the public school That number is going to rise And so whereas today I'm telling you 60% of LBGT black Is due to trauma If you ask me That same question 10 years from now I'm going to tell you 60% of LBGT black Is due to them Being turned out And being introduced To the lifestyle with no previous traumatic experience.
3: Hmm. Damn.
5: See that mental health thing is deep because the mind see the mind is so complex. As you said earlier, we only use about fifteen percent of our conscious mind. So even when you're talking about the conscious community, you're talking about fifteen percent of that brain. That's all we're touching.
3: Eighty five percent of that
5: brain is unconscious. We don't know how to use it. You gotta you gotta you gotta you gotta be taught that. You have to Uh, uh, self actualized into using sections of the brain that you normally don't use which is a very deep thing because that brain ain't there for nothing God did not give you that big all that gray matter for you to only use 15% what is the other 85% of your brain for and then you'll know how they was able to build the pyramids and then you will know how certain ancestors are able to make themselves disappear then you'll understand why Harriet Tubman never got caught because they knew how to tap into those other dimensions within that mind.
2: Right. So that brings us right back to the um, the need and the necessity, again, like you said, for our own institutions. So I want to take this time, of course, to ask you where are we at with the school, you know what I'm saying, where are we at, what needs to be done, what can be done. We spoke about the options that you're going to be weighing out, you know, over right. the next few weeks well, or what have school,
5: you. I'm sorry. Go ahead, brother. I'm
2: sorry. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely want you to, uh, you know.
3: Yeah, with the school, it
5: all depends on what scenario I'm going to put into play. Because if I say tomorrow I'm going to go ahead and put the school in Africa, then it's just a matter of... Of transferring the money to the Continental Bank and you know getting the architects and the electrical engineers and everybody together so we can put the blueprint into into action over there so if the if the end goal is Africa, we are already there we' done, but I'm still trying to hold out in potentially putting that first school here for reasons I already said where you know being that a lot of parents are going to feel comfortable enough sending their sons to the continent, even though they will be much safer in Ghana than they would ever be in New York or Philly. You know, the, the tuition would be much cheaper in Nigeria than it would ever be in Houston or Washington, D.C., you know. So um, right now, I'm just basically investigating all the possibilities that exist. Uh, St. Paul's obviously is my dream. It's still there. They still want $2 million. Nothing has changed. They need – we would already have St. Paul's if they would have gave me at least the own grant. If they would have gave me at least to own agreement, we would be in Saint Paul's already. Hand yeah, we would have been in St. will probably be finishing the first year of school right now if they would have gave me at least to own agreement, but they won't do it. They want all the money up front. That's the problem with Saint Paul's. Have you
2: um, attempted to petition them? You know, have Oh you got of course. 30, I was just on the phone thirty thousand signatures, you know, like that
5: ain't gonna matter matter because it's privately owned. See, Saint Paul's okay. is not a state school. It's private. It's under the, I think they're uh under the Methodist or Episcopalian Church. It's, it's independent. So independent is a little bit different. If it was a state school, then maybe the petitions would work because you're talking about tax money, you know, schools that are operated with tax money. St. Right. Paul's is private, so it wouldn't matter. Um, but Paul's is my first choice. Hands down, St. Paul's is my first choice. That's why we hold out. That's why we still ask the people to donate to the fundraiser, gofundme.com forward slash Dr. Umar. So that's the, that's the best case, St. Paul's. But we $1.5 million away from that. Africa scenario, build a school in the continent, we're already good to go. The midway scenario is to uh, purchase a regular school building in the United States and operate the school there until such time that I raise enough money to uh, acquire a residential or build a residential campus because my vision is, is residential. My vision is residential. Ultimately, I want residential Africa. We can do residential St. Paul's. We can do residential. Africa, we have enough money. St. Paul's, we don't. And then, of course, Midway, the the, the mid scenario would be getting a, a regular school and starting there. Now, the reason why a lot of people don't understand why I haven't moved on the funds I already have is because Dr. Umar's vision is Dr. Umar's vision. And this is what I try to get people to understand. It ain't their vision. Because I've had people say, well, we got a, we got a lot of independent African schools. Uh, around the country, why not take that 500000 and and uh, contribute it to some of the schools that are already up? What kind of sense does that make? Dr. Umar Johnson has a vision for the Frederick Douglass Marcus Garvey RBG International Leadership Academy, which would be the first school of its kind based on the principles of revolutionary Pan-Africanism and international economics. No school has that premise, no school. Why am I going to abandon my vision and take money that people gave me for my vision? They didn't give me this money to give it to this school. They didn't give me this money to give it to this. They didn't give me this money to help another school. They gave it for me to build my vision. And so when I hear people say stuff like, well, you need to just take that money and dip it up, hell no. That's ridiculous. Why would I even do this if I'm going to abandon my mission? I would never do that. I got my own mission, and and and, and my own vision is not going to allow for me to go join somebody else's school program and try to operate my vision with their vision. I'm a Garveyite. These schools ain't run by the Garveyites. They ain't got my mission in hand. What I'm building ain't no school doing right now, none of them. And they do a good job. I support every independent school in the country, but none of them are what I'm going to be. So there is no such thing as you're thinking too high. Calm it down. Listen, I know why I'm here. I know what I must do and I will not stop until I achieve it, whether it's St. Paul, right. whether it's a regular school, whether it's a school in Africa. But I cannot advocate that. See, a lot of people say, well, he could just start with a, you know, home school. We already got enough of them. We don't need another home school. We got enough of them. He could just start with another storefront school. We got enough of them. I don't want to be a home school. I don't want to be a storefront school. I don't want to be a fly by night. I don't want to be a dashiki beat the drum school. This is going to be a Garveyite institution. That's what it's going to be, and I'm not going to stop until it exists.
3: Right.
2: Is this another situation that you constantly are going to the ancestors to be informed on? Always. Always.
5: In fact, I had a reading with one of my babalawo. You know what he told me? And I don't normally divulge the results of reading, but he said, "Think big." That's what he told me. He said, now is not the time. This is coming from the divine. Now is not the time for you to think small. You are to think big. Stay with your mission. Stay with your vision. So I'm always getting readings, always, because I got to make sure I'm staying in, in divine alignment. You know, in African spirituality, yes. and I'm still just a novice, but when within African spirituality, you know, there's three things that, we put a premium on. Three three things that are very critical to your success as a person. Number one, are your ancestors pleased with you? Are, your yes. ans, are you in alignment with your ancestors' intentions? That's very critical. Our ancestors are second only to God in the influence that he wield in our lives. There's an African proverb that says the, your ancestors sit at the feet of Almighty God, your ancestors. So are you in alignment with your ancestors? That's number one. Number two, are you in alignment with your destiny? Are you walking the path that you chose to walk before you incarnated on the earth plane? So that's two. Are you in alignment with your destiny? Are you in alignment with your answer? And the third one is do you have good character? Do you have good character? You see, those are the three most critical things to your success on the earthly and the spiritual plane. And so for me, I'm always checking in with the ancestors and with the divine. You know, I'm always checking. Am I supposed to put the school here? Am I supposed to put the school in Africa? A lot of times I come back that it's kind of open right now. See, the way readings go is they never give you the whole story. They give you just enough to get you to the next point. It's a half-truth. You never get the whole thing because it's intended for you to go and research yourself. It's intended for you to go out and find the truth. So you just, you're giving just enough clues. So it's you're markers. on yes. Exactly. Exactly. Now,
2: they point you, you in the right
5: direction, but you got to do the work.
2: Right. Do you feel that the future is predestined or is it mutable?
5: It's both. Remember what I was saying earlier. We have our destiny, but yes. we can change that destiny based on the decisions that yes. we make. Absolutely. You see, so you're de- – now, now some people say, well, you got a destiny and this is when you're supposed to die and nothing can change it. Well, that's not exactly true according to African spirituality. In African spirituality, we chose the date we we're going to die before we got here. You have a date that you chose. I have a date that I chose. Your brother has a date that he chose. But because of poor decision-making, you can end. You you could have been. Your destiny was to die at 150. You're supposed to occupy the earth until you was 150. But because of bad decisions you made, you ended up checking out at 50 instead of 150. <sighs> Take our heroes, right. right? Let's look at our heroes. Marcus Garvey died at 53. Khaled Abdul-Muhammad died at the same age, 53. Malcolm and Martin at 39. Patrice yes. Lumumba, uh, most of our African freedom fathers, they died in their 30s, right? Yes. We don't know. We don't know whether that was their destiny. It could have been King's destiny to die at 39. He could have been born yes. to die at that age.
4: Right. Malcolm
5: could have been born. Garvey could have been born to die at that age or because of decisions they made. They could have we, circumvented
2: that right, destiny so tragedy. Yes. Exactly.
5: And there's no way to know that unless you know, don't know, they're divine right. and
2: they get we the land. We what we looking at. But we yes. can
5: change our destiny. We can change it. And that's why decisions are very important. Decisions are very, very important in African spirituality. For example, you get invited to go to a party. You get invited to go to another party. You got to decide which one you want to go. Now, you go to this party. Somebody's going to get shot. The whole place is going to get raided. You're going to go to jail for something you've never done. You go to the other party, you might meet the the, the woman of your dreams
3: I and end up being married. Yeah.
5: You see that? Decisions. <laughs> you got to realize every second of your life, you are open to like 50 different paths. Every second mm. of your life, you are open mm-hmm. to 50 different paths. Or are you going to stay in New York? Or are you going to move back to Atlanta? Or are you going to move to LA? Or are you going to move to Jamaica? Mm-hmm. All these are decisions that come with their own out paths. And then yes. every decision faced with so many other decisions. So a lot of times we're looking for God to guide us when really we need to be
2: guiding ourselves Self. for proper decision mm. making. Indeed. Indeed, absolutely. Definitely hit on some points. That real quick. Please do. Real quick. Based on what you were saying now, let's paint a scenario. Let's say that I was um in the conscious community and I was in one of your lectures and I heard you say the worst thing, to, in a, you know, in the in black community right now is the conscious community. I'm not conscious. I'm not in the community. What would be a decision that one would make after hearing that? Like, what, what, would, what, what would their next decision be if they were questioning, you know, the consciousness? Because they know that you might not have been talking about them, but they would feel like, damn, Umar's not with it. This must not be the right path. Or, you know? They'll get confused. So, what what would be right. person? What, what decision would that person start making?
5: Well, not being them, I couldn't say. But mm-hmm. my thing is to always urge people to seek greater clarity, especially for something that I say. You know, I would urge people to seek greater uh, clarity because you know I'm a pretty gifted orator. But even in being gifted, even though I do believe that my oratory is guided by the divine. There's still errors that are made in statements. There's things that should have been said differently. There's things that could have been said better. There's things that should have been elaborated upon more. So for me, I'm constantly asking people to seek greater clarity. And some people do. Some people will ask, well, Dr. Umar, you said this. Is that what you meant? And then i say, no, I clarify. What I meant was this. And they say, okay, I got you now. Well, somebody will run off with something I said and interpret it for the worst as opposed to seek that greater clarity. You you see, so it's, it's always important that you seek clarity because just as the speaker is responsible for his communication, the receiver of the speech is equally responsible to make sure they have interpreted the message as it was intended before they make decisions upon it. So clarity is very, very important, very, very important. And that's where humility comes in too. That's where humility comes in. You see, because if I'm not a humble brother, you'll say something, and I'll take offense to it. But if I'm a humble brother, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to say, it sounds like he was talking about Dr. Umar, but he might have not been talking about Dr. Umar. Or even if he was, he might have not meant it like that. Or maybe the brother just Mm -hmm. having a bad day. You see what I'm saying? Because, like, sometimes I'll have bad days. So people come to a lecture and say, Dr. Umar didn't really greet me the way he normally greeted me. Did I do something to him? You didn't do nothing to me. I got a million ones in my head. You see what I'm saying? I'm dealing with this evaluation I'm working on with this lawyer. I'm dealing with the Black Boy College Tour. I got the Senegal, Ghana trip coming up. I'm dealing with fd and where to put the school. You know, I'm dealing with some of this uh, hating stuff that's going on over here. You know, my own personal situations. I got to be handled in my own personal life. So people got to realize that it's not always about you, and that requires humility. It requires humility. It also requires humility to overlook to overlook an act of disrespect that was committed against you. When you look at the uh, admissions of purity, uh, the uh, ancient Kemetic admissions of purity, some people say negative law of the profession, okay? There's one of them that says, I am free from resentment under persecution. That's one of the admissions of purity. I am free from resentment. Under persecution. And I don't mind admitting to y'all, because y'all my brothers, I don't mind admitting to y'all or your listening audience tonight that that is, I would say, an do that I'm still working on. I'm still working on my humility, and I'm still working um, on my simplicity of faith and character that when somebody does something to me wrong, it don't even bother me. You see, so when you go back to what happened in Kansas City with the, uh, the lesbian sister. Or well, you look at, you know, what happened with the conscious stripper and her trying to destroy me. You see, I was hurt by those things, and I wanted revenge. You know, I said, why would somebody try to do something like this to me? I didn't do anything wrong. Why are you doing it? I wanted revenge. But that's the weakness in me. My ancestors expect more from me. I was not supposed to react to that. I was supposed to take it on a chin and keep on moving. But that's hard because that ego. See, we got to get that ego under control, that European God of oppression. For a long time, I wanted resentment. Now I don't. I can see the sister tomorrow. I'm just going to keep on walking. No resentment, no nothing. You understand. But it took me a while to get there. It took me a while to get there with her, almost a year to get over that because of how deeply she tried to destroy me professionally and otherwise. But in order for me to be in alignment with my ancestors, I got to get to the point. And when somebody make a video disrespecting me, it don't even bother me. When somebody says something disrespectful about me, it don't even bother me. That's when you know you're walking with the gods. When you are free from resentment under persecution. Mm -hmm. And I don't mind admitting to y'all, I'm not there yet. I'm still working on it.
2: Honest, brother. Indeed. I'm still working on it, too. (laughs) I, (laughs) I am not there yet. But I'm working on it. You know what I'm saying? Now, that leads me back to another question that I have which is, is there such a thing as a disillusion of exclusion? Just because we have momentarily detached ourselves from someone, does it ever mean that those people are no longer permanently part of our story?
5: They're always going to be a part of that story. They're always Uh going to be a part of that story. And I say that because people always talk about one God, but we never talk enough about God being one. When black people achieve oneness of purpose, that is a direct manifestation of God. In fact, I'm going to say, okay, with uh, the risk of sounding outlandish, I'm going to say that I believe that the oneness of black people, whenever it is achieved, will be one of the highest manifestations of God that can ever exist. Because we are all netters. We are all a netter. We are all an orisha. We are all a loa. We are all an abusa. We are all a divinity. Every that's one of us. So when you connect those divinities together, imagine all, African people getting in one step with each other that is a manifestation of divine power what can be greater than that there's nothing that can be black unity has to be one of the greatest unexperienced manifestations of divine energy you are God by yourself you are a manifestation of God all by yourself imagine 40 million in America and then another 200 million in Africa imagine the power that can come from a collective consciousness.
3: But what the we people want to know... We have no idea, know, Right. We
5: have no idea what we're capable of. We have no... We we, we in the surface. We scratching the surface. We have no idea Absolutely. what
3: we're
2: capable of. But the people want to know, especially, you know, from someone such as yourself, this voice and a sentiment such as that, you have the ability to do that. You know what I'm saying? But then the people will want to know, well... Maybe we need to see him publicly forgive the sister first before we can believe that his extension of forgiveness and unification is that powerful to say, shit. You know, there's bloods and crips that are unifying right now in the midst of the fact that you know a person might have killed a little homie and what have you. They see the bigger ideal. Gangs are coming together. You know what I'm saying? There's all of these different groups that are coming together. But yeah, when people look at the community, they still still see divisions that are not based on blood being spilled. you know what I'm
3: saying? Right. People that are coming mm-hmm. from the
2: street element, they understand that that's what permanently separates people, you know what I mean? So they're like, damn, why we, you know, why the leadership of the community can't get it together because, you know what I mean, we want to get information. but we got to make decisions when we come in. It's like they come into the community and they get a starter kit and it should be like, check one. Right.
4: You gotta, <laughs> yeah,
0: got to throw this flag started. on,
3: yeah. <laughs> You know what a I mean? No
0: you can match you up know. and go down his ball right there. That's the RBG <laughs> room right there.
3: Oh, oh you, you want to that? Like, oh, you, you, know you want to say that 90s. no more?
5: You give them every button. <laughs> the more <buddy, laughs> everybody's <it's> RBG,
0: buttons, <laughs> but they can only wear
5: one
0: of them. They can only wear one of them. Only one. one. So what I'm saying is. That's the problem right
5: there. They should be able to wear them all. They should be able to wear them all. You know what I mean? Exactly. My Moorish brothers in Virginia, they gave me a Morris pen. I wear my Morris pen because those are my brothers. Exactly. Every time I go to Virginia, they normally come out and support. My Gods and Earth brothers, I got a Gods and Earth pen. My Nation of Islam brothers, I got a pen from them. You know, I show love to everybody and everybody show me love. You know what I mean? So I don't, I, there's one thing we got to transcend. When you talk about transcendence, you're going to have to transcend the petty ideology. You got to transcend them. Now, ideology is important, it's important. Because it helps shape your world view. That's the lens you use to perceive the reality for our people. It's important. It is not more important than the people. Nothing comes before the people. So you should be able to keep your ideology in its place and work on a unification of the all. And the only reason why ideology keeps on keeping us divided is because it's attached to our ego. It's about control. It's about uh, uh, domination. It's about alpha maleism. It's about competition. It ain't about unity. Unity don't care what labels you wear, you know. And 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 one thing I can say about me, and I got my stuff I got to work on like everybody else, but the one thing I can say about me is I never force people to choose. You know what I mean? When I go to the lectures, you know, people test you, and y'all know there's people test you. They come up and they say, "Well, what do you think about this, brother? What do you think about this, brother?" My answer is always the same. I respect him. You know what I mean? I never give a negative statement on another conscious personality even if i don't like them, i'm not going to do that so one thing i can say in terms of keeping the vibration positive nobody can ever say that he says something negative at a lecture or being questioned after a lecture about somebody else in the conscious community never i don't i don't see it i refuse to feed the negativity i can also say that I've never initiated any negativity either. Like, I've never voluntarily uh, made a video disrespecting somebody. I've never voluntarily interviewed somebody to disrespect somebody. I've never played into that at all. So any beef I got or that I don't hold grudges, first of all. So, you know, I forgive everybody for anything they've ever done against me. I'm not a grudge holder at all. That's why I can forgive the stripper. I can forgive anybody in the conscious community for the nonsense they've been doing through the years. I don't hold grudges. But at the same time, I got to be wise, too. You got to be wise. And as King Shaka said, you know, and I just visited his grave in October when I was in South Africa, he said, you got to be careful with your enemy, you see, because they will rise again to fly at your throat. So one of the things that has to be studied is who did you have differences with that can be reconciled, because some are mm-hmm. reconcilable, and then there's others yeah. where they can't be reconciled. That person is a permanent enemy of yours. And I think that's where wisdom wisdom comes in in knowing the difference. Wisdom comes in to know the difference. Who you can reconcile with and who you got to stay away from. But whether I can reconcile with them or not, I would never do anything against them or feed any negativity
3: in their way. Indeed, indeed. That's
2: very powerful that the people get to hear that, you know, and we never want to encourage anybody to ever feel like they have to choose because the brother's letting you know that it's all, I every mean, he, he knows that it's just all one.
3: You it's know.
0: all one. I put it to you,
2: brother. Exactly. So the, the, the vision that we have as futurists of that great gathering where you'll be and we'll all be amongst each other, all of the teachers, all of the young masters, all of the elders, master teachers, master students, just the whole nation. You know the actual formation, like like uh, the the beehive, the getting in formation. We, are you saying that that's definitely something that can you know uh, take place or that could come is, to is, fruition?
5: It's definitely something I'm interested in hearing more about.
2: Indeed. Well, we got to chop it up anyway. So yes, we will make sure we have a uh, we have the business plan and everything put together. So we'll be able to sit down and talk to you about uh, the vision. Definitely, definitely, definitely.
5: Also wanted your listeners to know that uh, we got the Senegal-Africa group trip coming up, part three. We'll be going to Senegal and Ghana from July 26th to August 11th. God willing, I'll finalize the rest of that trip this week so next week people can start registering. Cost of the trip is going to be approximately uh, $4,000 and some change. Everything is included except your spending money in your meals. So we're going to go to the Gory Island slave dungeon, you know, and um, that's where I got my spiritual epiphany at Gory Island last week of July, of 2005, almost a little more than ten years ago. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. And I and I do believe on some level, as you guys was asking me earlier, you know, I do believe my visit to that slave dungeon and what took place in my hotel room the night that I visited that slave dungeon. I think it has something yeah. to do with where I am right now. I really believe that because when I got into that dungeon and got on one knee. That was my first time in a slave dungeon in Africa, my first time in Africa, minister of education for the Garvey movement. And I asked those ancestors to give me the power that they have to prove that it didn't Mm -hmm. die in vain. I said, I want to go back and finish your work. This was 05. You know, I was just a regional Garveyite. I was known, but not where I am. Nowhere near where I am then. And, you Mm -hmm. know, I do believe that they had something to do with this. They had, because I was not on this trajectory. This was not my trajectory. And I do believe that that day in Gorey Island, changed my life forever. And so we're gonna take people back there. We're gonna take them to Ghana, Elmi the Slave Dungeon, Cape Coast Slave Dungeon, uh Asin Mansoor, Slave River where our ancestors will be bodies. Are uh, they gonna get their African clothing made? There will be a traditional African naming ceremony by Nana and Ketsi the Fifth, who's the Paramount uh chief or king of the Ahanta people. Uh they'll get a chance to take a boat ride cookout picnic, museums. It's gonna be powerful. It's gonna be powerful. So if you've never been to Africa, if you've never been home, if you've never been home, uh Think about going back home with us. You will love it. My trip is normally a younger trip, but we do have elders on it. We do have children on it as well. You will have a lot of fun. They go clubbing. It's, it's everything you could want, you're going to get. But most of all, it's a spiritual epiphany and a spiritual awakening, and uh, you'll never be the same. You will never be the same. A lot of people went on the trip last year going back year. You know what I mean? People who went the first year going back. Uh, the, the Caribbean cruise, I think we're going to hold that off until next year because i got to do a little bit more work. So the cruise cruise won't be this year. The cruise will be next year, brothers and sisters. I'll make sure of that. So we're doing Africa. Then we got the Black Boy College Tour. We're going to have one tour leaving from Harlem, another tour leaving from Atlanta. On the Harlem tour, we're going to take them to the Schomburg Center, the uh, Apollo Theater. We're going to take them to the Malcolm and Betty Shabazz Center. We're going to take them to the grave site. Brother Malcolm, Dr. Ben, Dr. Khalid, Paul Robeson, as you know, they're all in that same cemetery. We're going to go to Cheney University, Lincoln University. We're going to go to the Harry Tubman House. Harry Tubman Museum, Fred Douglas Grave, Great Blacks and Wax Museum, Bowie State, Coppin State, Morgan State. We're going to go to the Matt Turner Reserve. Um, on the daytime, it's going to be trips. In the evening at the hotel, it's going to be seminars in a hotel. Uh, what to do when you get stopped by the police. How to start your own business. Why you need to respect, love, and protect, honor the black woman. Understand the racism, white supremacy. Understand the African history and culture. Every night, there's going to be a different curriculum for the boys. Eight nights, nine days. South tour, we're going to leave from Atlanta. Dr. King Graves, Dr. King Shrine, Selma African Holocaust Museum, Montgomery Civil Rights Institute, Tuskegee Institute, George Washington Carver Museum, National Civil Rights Museum in Memphis, Lamone Owen College, Morehouse College, Clark, Atlanta, Spelman. It's going to be powerful. Eight nights and nine days is going to be approximately $1,000 per boy. Everything is included except spending money. Uh, one trip will be from Harlem, one from Atlanta, one will be in June, one will be in August, and I will have that information ready by
2: April the 1st. Man, I need to be on that bill right
0: there, big.
3: <laughs>
0: uh, Hold on, I'm going to get my bucket list. We gonna tell, we're going to totally negotiate, man. I know I can you. I think the pillars yeah, need to might. be fact, on that bill. i with deal. the boys on the bus, which I definitely welcome to follow. We're telling everybody it's that we can have a caravan. You know yeah. what I mean? We got have a caravan.
2: Right. Yeah, we, All we got a second film crew Family, We have four minutes remaining for the live stream. Three four seven six three seven two one three five is the calling number. Three four seven six three seven 2135 we're only going to do a few questions tonight um so if you want to call in callers make sure that you call in three minutes remaining for the live stream 347-637-2135 yeah i had a question i'm trying to gather it again um all right yes i know what it is okay with this new level of visibility that you have gained by way of these different um, platforms, these merger of different platforms, Breakfast Club, and, you know, um, Housewives and what have you, now in your travels, what change in the demographic are you seeing, one? And, two, has this visibility gained you any more high-profile prof- donors? Are people from the world of entertainment stepping forward and saying, brother, I believe in, you know, what I'm hearing thus far. How can I make something happen with you, bro? Right.
1: Um,
5: yes and no. Uh yes y- yes and no. Um, here's the thing. A lot of our celebrities know me. And I'm about three degrees of separation from a lot of. You know, uh I know people know Puff, I know people know Oprah, you know, I met obviously I meet celebrities face to face on the regular Nowadays, you know, but the thing about it is their situation is very sensitive, being in that upper echelon of the entertainment industry, and it could cause them a great deal of distress and even fall from stardom uh, for their benefactors, uh, the companies that they're signed to, to find out that they are liaising in any way, shape, or form with the infamous Dr. Umar Johnson. And so even though they love my work, many of them feel they have to do so from a distance because what I represent will be considered too a controversial for them to survive the negative publicity that would come with that. And I do understand. I, I, You know, a lot of people say, well, hey, all these rich people we got, they could have been gave you the money. That might be true, but at the same time, it's not my place to tell them what they should be doing. My thing is this. You only get a few years to really be – Great in the entertainment industry As an athlete or entertainer, You know, and my thing is I don't want to stop, I don't want to get In the way of any of them making their millions Or their billions, my thing is Make all the money you can make, make it all And then when you're done If you see the need to donate to me I will be very appreciative of it Or if you see the need to donate to someone else You know, I will be very appreciative On their behalf because at the end of the day It's about all of us, it's about the oneness Um you know, but if they don't donate at all, I don't take it personally, you know, but I can't ask them to risk their career to support Dr. Umar Johnson. I can't do that because they went through their own personal hell, their own personal struggle, their own personal strives to achieve the level of success that they have. And it would be very selfish of me or anyone else to tell them that you're obligated to give Dr. Umar Johnson $2 million for the school. I don't think that's our place. The way I see it, We have more money together than any one of them has by themselves. Black America is richer than Oprah Winfrey. Black America is richer than Jay-Z. Black America is richer than any one celebrity. So why are we expecting them to do for us what we should be doing for ourselves? I don't see it as their responsibility to bail us out. And when you study black struggle, all of our major black movements were not funded by rich folks. They were funded by everyday black people. The Garvey Movement, Nation of Islam, more Science Temple, mm-hmm. Wapian, okay, uh, Earths, all the, the black Hebrews, all the great black, the civil rights struggle, all of them were funded by everyday black folks. And I think my the school time should also be it. funded mm-hmm. by everyday black folks.
3: Thanks.
2: Indeed. So you're speaking about the power of crowdfunding. I often speak about crowdfunding And my research has taken me into the realm of equity crowdfunding, which is a form of crowdfunding where you can raise up to $500 million. It was passed through the 2012 Jobs Act by Obama, and it allows you now to participate in raising up uh, a $500 million um, limit or budget in order to start your business as something that was never possible before because there there was always that middleman. Like the SEC and things of that nature. So, with the power that we have collectively, just you know, the, the 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 brothers and sisters that are out here teaching the people, waking the people up, the the names that are identifiable, that we could begin to utilize platforms like that, or technologies such as that, or I call them uh, algorithms, applications, because they're solutions, and begin to raise funds that are solution based like with targets like we're going to raise $500,000 to purchase the institutions that you were talking about earlier that you can't understand why the community is not coming together putting their pooling their money the 20 to 40 to 50 dollars you know together and buying these properties and becoming owners and then becoming institution owners and then being able to you know uh create um, a plethora of things products, services, students, everything so do you think that this is the time that we could take advantage of coming together, showing the people that we are all you know on one page with one purpose and one goal and one destiny, and begin to do that
5: or oh, without question um I support them okay. I support those algorithms um, and along with that. I want to say that we as a people have to recognize that the number one weapon being used against us now, one of the main weapons, is lack of access to capital. They're able to keep us in a state of racial poverty by funding every other group and not funding black people. This is how they guarantee that we don't become self-sufficient, because you can't go into Wells Fargo, Bank of America, Chase Manhattan, and get a $2 million loan. You can't. The Arabs can do it. That's why they can buy 10 gas stations only been in, the, in your city for so one week. They got 10 gas stations. That, Chinese can do that, it. They get off the boat. Yeah. They got 10 stopping and goes. They only been around for a month. You see, the Europeans can do it. Everybody can do it but us. So we're going to have to become our own economic stimulus package. And along with that, we're going to have to open up black banks. At the time of his death, the Honorable Marcus Garvey was uh, in the process of laying down a platform for an independent black bank. We need banks and credit unions. Credit unions are easier to get started than banks. But that's what we need because the way banks and credit unions operate is that you're able to build off of other people's money simply being deposited into your bank. That's what we need to do. We're able to build off of the deposited amount. We're able to float the loans and the bonds necessary to create the infrastructure. A lot of what you see get built in New York City, for example, is being built on money that don't even exist. They're able to float that money off of their deposits, which is to say, that If you go to a black person and say, donate a $1,000, you may never get it. But if you go to a black person and say, put your $1,000 paycheck in my bank, I'm not asking you for none of them. You can take it all out if you want. Just deposit it. Your deposit is going to give me the power that I need to build this hospital we're trying to build. They will deposit the money because the way they see it, they ain't sacrificing them. All you're asking for is for them to make a deposit. You're not asking them to make a donation. And just by yes. making that deposit, They give you the money that you need to build the institutions that you have. So we have to start using the power of banking to build the infrastructure that we need. And I think black businesses need to start coming together to build these credit unions. Black churches should have been doing this. Every black, every city should, all the black churches in every city should have their own banking system. They should, it doesn't make any sense for T.D. Jakes' money to be in a white bank, Creflo Dollar's money to be in a white bank, Eddie Rome's money to be in a white bank, all the mega churches in New York. Their money is in white banks. Why ain't that money in a black bank? Do you know how much capital we would have access to if we was able to go into a bank that was holding a black church's money and say, listen, we need $2 million to build X, Y, and Z. We have to become our own economic. That's how we're going to fix this problem. Money is the new racism. Money is the new racism. And so we have to start using our money to
2: benefit ourselves. Indeed. Well, I got. Let's get to these callers. I, we have sure. a lot of hands, but I want to definitely. I see some luminaries in the in the audience. Caller from the seven one eight two one nine. Peace. Welcome to KTL Radio. Peace. What's going on? All hey, is well, brother. Peace. Yeah. Peace and love. Yes.
9: What's going on, brother Omar? You're a legend. Yes, sir. Let me tell you. You are the most prolific um, Order we have ever As the present um, And your spirituality Is divine Let me tell you I'm a priest of Shango For 10 years I am The first Third generation African American Practitioner in this country My mother's godfather. Is a, rel- a blood relative of yours. He is a direct descendant of uh, Frederick Douglass. His name was Lloyd Weaver. Okay? Um, he's a filmmaker that um, lived in Nigeria for 35 years. He just returned back to the United States. Um, it would be a pleasure for me to, to introduce you to him. He was a priest at been on job for 40 something years. Oh man, say no more.
0: Your more Job's my mother. Say no okay. more.
9: He is he is uh an ex well, I shouldn't say ex, he's a black panther from the Harlem division, okay, that got into the tradition based on Pan Africanism. Um he effectively created the first functioning African American orisha house in the United States. Oh wow! Wow, okay. Um, he was the first one to ever have ceremonies conducted in the United States, where everyone in the room, including the uh, officiating oriente, was an African American. Okay. Um, so he is a blood relative of you. He's a direct descendant of, of Frederick Douglass. I don't know if you're familiar with the Weaver family in your own family tree. But he's from, uh, I believe, Baltimore. Okay. Um, and um, he's a filmmaker. He's actually also uh responsible for the Nollywood um revolution in Nigeria in terms of media because he's I got a link filmmaker. with it.
3: Yeah, yeah. I got a link movie. with it. You know,
5: Nigeria, my spot. Let me okay. give you my number for the sake of time. I want to give you my number. Well, we want you to finish your thought, but I'm gonna give you my number when you're done.
9: Send me a text tonight, my brother, so I can lock
1: you in and I'm gonna give you a call tomorrow.
9: Absolutely, we gonna sit down and talk. Like I said, the history is 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 um uh, is real. I mean, because uh, a recent tradition in the United States was born off of Pan Africanism. Okay, powerful, powerful. Um, people need to understand that it was born off of Pan Africanism. Um, the born reclamation
5: of Pan Africanism,
9: strong. Yeah, the reclamation of naming ceremonies and things. Of, um changing one's name and 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 taking on the african mentality came from these people uh the house movement in, in brooklyn um the east family that that whole movement is uh directly responsible for the black american orisha movement in this country okay um so now he he was just recently in a, a documentary that PBS um Put together about uh, Oshogbo The Oshun festival um, Like I said he's the guy Like In terms of anybody that went to Nigeria in the last 30 years And went to, for Initiations to be a Babalawo, Lao And was American, black American I will say about 85% had that Passed through him Okay um, wow. So um, The work that you're doing it's um, it is uh, unprecedented at this moment because of the of the frequency that the world is moving at right now. Um, you were talking about black people and their struggles, and when it comes to Odu speaking to my mother's godfather, Bobby Lloyd, we had a conversation recently, and he explained to me that um, in Osai The Odu Osameji Osameji is the Odu of revolution It's the Odu of the winds And in Osameji There's an Apataki A story that talks about Cotton And Cotton uh, Complained to Olofi To God that The birds were eating her children Were eating her seeds And Olofi invited her to heaven And she made sacrifice And he gave her something to eat and when she woke up in the morning, she grew thorns. And when the birds came to eat her children, the thorns got stuck in their throats. And Baba Lloyd said to me, "Black people are children of cotton. We came here to pick cotton." He says, "And the thorns that we must grow are to reclaim our true religion. So when the birds wow. come to eat us, they will be stuck. The thorns will be stuck in their throats." Okay? Wow. So. We have to, Osa Meiji talks about morphing change and the the uncomfortability of change, but the necessity of it. So in Osa Meiji, the Orisha Oya is very prevalent. And Oya is the deity that stands at the gate of the cemetery. She is responsible for giving us our breath and taking it from us when we die. And that is a direct correlation with God because our breath a gift from Olofi. That is what people when they say Ashe, Ashe is the uh imitation of God breathing. Okay? So you put ashe on things when you breathe on them. So this is why I've always had a big issue with the conscious community using the word frivolously because it is a word of much power. And so one must have the uh license to use our she in order to give it, okay, and so we have to be careful about how we use the words because we can devalue it by using it to just signify, okay, and so we people have to respect. I wouldn't just say amen in uh, a frivolous interaction, you know, it is um, devaluing the the, uh, the 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 intention behind the word. So, I say all that I have to say, your your destiny is for you to lay the seeds down because as a, as someone who speaks, we have, we have to uh, give credence to Obata, the tongue. And so, Obata talks about pumpkins and he talks about how pumpkins are very important to us because pumpkins have multiple seeds which gives us more of a probability of success, right? And so when we plant our seeds, we were using magic because at some point when we fertilize the earth, we have to give one part to God because once we stick the seed inside the ground, we do not open it up to look and check and see if it's growing. We have to have faith. And so we nurture it and water it, right? And so that's what your mission is to water the children with seeds because they are the next generation, Yes. The, the most profound thing that I can say about these traditions is that I had a conversation with my grandmother when I was a, a teenager. And I was uh, rebellious in terms of putting, uh, giving myself to the tradition full-fledged. And I asked my grandmother, I said, Well, why do I need to make ochre? And the first time my grandmother answered me, she said, so you can live forever. Hmm. And she said it to me, and it went over my head, and I didn't get it. And I thought to myself, like, what kind of Mickey Mouse business? What is she talking about? And so I left her alone. And I I uh, returned to this question almost a year later, and I asked her again, and I said, what did you mean by live forever? And she explained to me that when we sacrifice in terms of going through initiation, we are are symbolically dying. And when we are reborn, they will give us a name. And this sacred name is sometimes recycled that other priests in the future or in the past have had this name. She says, but as long as all those people are continuously connected to that name and those names are recited forever and, and, and ever, you will never die. She said, so we must have children in order to continue our legacy. So, one of the greatest blessings that we start off with in the Yoruba tradition is Ireomo, blessings of children, because without children, there's nobody to tell your story. So, your mission is so divine as to answer the question for you to the pill is that your mission is so divine because it is here for you to necessarily water the crops. Right and nurture them, and make sure that there's no genetically modified intentions and ideas put inside them, so that there is a generation. And you may necessarily not even live to see the fruits of your labor, but if you don't, if you plant a tree, and you're never going to be able to sit under the shade. Does it will stop you from planting the tree? Not at all. Hmm. So, your 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 mission is. In stone No one No hater No controversy Nothing can stop you From doing what you were doing Except like you said Bad decisions You feel me And so I want you to know That I personally Pray for you When I talk about The conscious community When I'm in front of my Arisha, I pray For you So that nobody Gets next to you That should not be next to you You feel me because too many times our 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 gyms are surrounded by wolves, King was surrounded by wolves. You know what I mean, yeah, they told him to wear these ties, let him wear that tie so the shooter to see You
3: know what
9: I'm saying, and when he got True. shot, when you add up the number on the uh, the the number on the um the door of his room with the number of the time. It adds up to 9-9, nine, nine, which is Major Revolution. And revolution, in revolution, you have to be very careful of betrayal, okay? Because in the in betrayal was born. It was the best friend. Your best friend is your worst enemy, right? And so never forget that, that these the same people that you are fighting for may bite your hand one day. You know what But we don't do it. We do it because it's our mission. You know what I'm saying? We do it because it's our mission, and so Malcolm knew at some point his decisions baited him to necessarily meet death at the podium, and he was the, he was a man and he accepted it. You Hear me? And so he lives forever. He made his sacrifice, but we ain't trying to let that happen to Brother Umar. You feel me? It's a new paradigm. It's a it's a shift. Big. Okay. So, mm-hmm. Thank you, Brother Oba. And well well, well said, Baba.
5: I take, take my number down, Baba. You got a pen? You got your phone on you? Yeah, I got my phone on me right now. Uh, 215. And this is for anyone in the audience, if you need to reach me. Uh, area code 215-989-9858. I'll repeat it twice. 215-989-9858. 1 last time 215 989 9858 Nah, am
9: gonna I'm definitely I'm gonna I'm gonna Yeah, shoot over me that Bible text Lord tonight Lord. so I can lock yes, it and sure. i you tomorrow. I promise yes, that. Sir. I promise that. Yes, sir. Yo, yeah, peace to the KLF uh-huh.
3: family. Peace. peace to the family, brother. To my oh, brother, A.A. A.
9: Rashid, to brother Rich, brother Baz brother Chris. To all the brothers and sisters out there that are keeping their minds straight and keeping their sanity in this fun house, I tell you all. All right? Good night, y'all.
0: Good night, night, night peace,
9: peace,
2: brother. All right. Peace. Call from the 740-630-P. Peace and blessings to everybody.
3: Peace, peace, greetings. Peace, peace.
2: Uh, I want to thank you guys for blessing us with that information tonight. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Doctor Umar Johnson. I I got two quick questions. I I make them quick, and I take the answer offline. Can the situation in Chicago
0: be fixed? And secondly, does the the lesbian community
2: carry the same spirit? of Delilah to
0: lessen the strength of the black male in America or slash the world? Thank uh, you, the sir.
5: First, Sure. The first question, uh, any of our problems can be fixed. Any of our problems can be fixed. Uh, the situation in Chicago is more intense, but that's because Chicago, I believe after New York, has the largest population of Africans in this country. So it's more intense. Uh, But I also believe, and there's a lot of evidence out there to suggest, that the police themselves are at the heart of much of the homicide. Um, There was an article that was released in Chicago about a year ago that said the police were leaving guns um, on the uh, train station so people could pick them up and use them. Um, They are at the heart of the gang violence. They are at the heart of the violence. That's not to say that black folks aren't killing black folks on their own, but the police have a whole lot to do with that. And I suspect that a lot of those murders that are taking place in Chicago, that those people are not being killed by black folks. They're being killed by police. I think Chicago is another social engineering experiment in progress where the police are responsible for ending a lot of black lives and blaming other black people for it. I truly believe that. But in terms of uh, community unrest, Generally speaking, I think that the only way we're going to be able to crush the black-on-black violence is that black men are going to have to take to the street, armed, and we're going to have to straight-up Joe Clark, the whole community. We're going to have to Bumpy Johnson, the whole damn thing, and uh, and strong-arm the Young Gangster Brothers out of the dope and out of the violence. I think it's going to take violence to end violence. I do believe that. Um, and I think until black men... The black man that's the responsibility that some of us are going to have to lay down our lives in order for peace to be returned to the community. It'll never be returned. The law can't do it. The president can't do it. As far as the lesbians being the Delilah of the community, I would say the feminists more so than the lesbians. The average lesbian ain't thinking about a black man. Okay, it's the feminists who see the black men as their enemy. So it is the feminists that I'm more concerned about than the lesbians as it relates to Uh, The assassination of the character of black males that is largely being pushed by the feminists. the notion that children don't need a father as long as they have their mother. That's a feminist doctrine. So a lot of the unhealthy anti male images that are being put out about black men are coming from the feminist camp. And unfortunately, the feminists, much like the LBGT, they are recruiting black women in college and indoctrinating them with this women against men attitude that it has black women thinking that the black man is her enemy, as opposed to understanding how white supremacy is the enemy of both of us.
3: Mm.
2: Uh, another quick question. There's a lot of references that's in the Bible about the, 400 year oppression that has been put on the, the, uh, God's people, uh, from your studies and your research and observation, um, uh, do you what's the right word? Do you believe or adhere to those prophecies that's that's in the Bible about about hey. us being 400 year people because i I see a lot of similarities with the story of exodus in in our Moses, and that's being in today's New Egypt, and we're getting close very close to those uh to that 400 years and i'm seeing how there's a lot of weather changes changes in people as the people begin to came out pharaoh began to oppress and build up his army and i'm seeing a lot of the same traits happening uh you know not in one state but from state to state you know and uh what's your take on
5: that doctor well uh I mean, I whenever I hear anything about a prophecy, I do like to meditate on it. I like to, you know, study it thoroughly. I do believe that some of the prophecies that are out there are writing exact. I think others are just man-made creation.
6: There's
5: no way to know for sure except to see if the prophecy comes to pass. And when you talk about the 400-year-old exodus, depending on where you live at in the new world, for those of us who are descendants of enslaved Africans, as I happen to, you know, depending on where your ancestors were taken to, the 400 years has already passed. So if you're talking about Caribbean islands, they've already had their 400. Brazil has already had its 400. Slavery in the United States will hit its 400th year um, in uh, 2019, counting from the 1619 year 2019. So in four years, we'll see whether or not that held true uh, for those who were the descendants of enslaved of those who were enslaved in the 13 colonies. But, again, Brazil has already passed its 400 years since the beginning of slavery, as have many of the Caribbean islands. So uh, you are right. We are generally within that 400-year period, and we'll just have to wait and see, you know, what comes to pass. You know, we did come into the age of Aquarius, you know, a couple years ago. Uh, we, we, We saw a lot of things that you don't normally see. We lived through a century. We lived through a new millennium. We lived through several different decades. Uh, We live through certain solar eclipses that have taken place. Uh, The next great solar eclipse is on my birthday, August 21st, I believe, uh, 2017 is going to be the next great solar eclipse. So there's a lot of signs. There's a lot of divine signs out in the universe. But, again, I would always caution us not to rely on supreme consciousness to bring that to us. It is for us to do the work. Uh, The universe is not going to save us. The universe will open up the vortex for us to save ourselves. So I would interpret all of that to mean that now is the time to strike for our freedom, and if we don't do so soon, we may have to wait another 1,000 years before this opportunity rolls around. So I do agree that this is our time. I have no doubt about it. This is our time. When the racism is the worst, that's when your opportunity for freedom is at its greatest to be organized first.
2: Thank you so much, Mr. Thank you.
0: Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. Thank you. All right. We're going to take two more callers.
2: And then uh move forward. Caller from the 704. Peace and welcome to another the Lades. Caller from the 516-881. Peace. Peace, Lord. Can you hear me? Loud and clear. Peace Cosmo. Yeah, peace to the brother Umar Johnson. You know I'm sitting up here looking at this brother's birth record, man. And <laughs> and uh he sure enough, man, is has got the motif for social equality all dressed up in his chart like crazy. You know. So that's you know, a motivating factor. But he was born with a serious uh aspect here at heart. He's a he's a rebel, you know. And um he needs to, he needs seriously to, to see that, you know, in order to feel like he made a, a, a mark on humanity. You know, he shares a, a placement with the brother, Noble Jewali, having Oranos and Libra. So, you know, that drive and energy can be compared right there in that personality, you know, when he argues, or when he utters the, uh, Gaviite doctrine. So, you know, that resonance you know, all comes the same. I wonder where he's going legally this year because he has a whole lot of operation going on in that, in that area, you know, of his life um, this year, you know, if he's listening, you know what I'm saying? Um, Yeah. I am so in love with this motif that you dropping on the school, man. I want to see that as a reality. Like, you know, you, I, I look at you with the same regard and esteem as I look at Garvey and Malcolm X and Martin Luther King and all of them brothers, man. And you know, um, you don't have. <laughs> we brothers said earlier, uh, the the assassination aspect. You don't have that in your chart. We ain't got to worry about that happening to you. Guarantee it. All right. Um, those other brothers had that. We talk. You talked about the choices they made. I'm an astrologer. You know, I look at, I've studied, the starts with more than a thousand dead men and whose biographies I had access to as well. I have yet to see a person who has not lived uh, out their charts to perfection, you know? Mm. So it's really not on us to judge
7: <laughs>
2: what is the purpose of, it. you do what you do best and you will do what is supposed to be done regardless, really.
5: I want you. I want you to get with me, my brother. I want you to send me a text because I would love to sit with you when I get a chance, and I would like to see your breakdown on my chart. I'm very interested to hear your interpretation on that.
2: Oh, man, yeah. Well, you know, I can. I can get your number from um from one of the pills, most definitely. I um. I know that um, the last two <laughs> and a half years, you know how to deal with your private enemies it's like so gracefully. Now, don't you? And and you are so serious <laughs> now. You are so serious. You are so serious now. Like you ain't playing. It's like the acts now. you get executioner. Whatever well, ain't right on my page is being dismissed gracefully now. <laughs> True that. True that. Yeah. Because you're focusing on some money plans. You got to put your money in order. Like the brother asked you about something. I was like, man, he's not even there. He's He's on some economic agenda, right? So I understand what your what your thing is going on. You know, you know, looking. I didn't get the time of birth. I assume it's it's, it's uh you were born in the, in the early afternoon. You know. Yeah,
5: your, that's correct. The issue with yeah. the birth is is interesting because um I've had my chart done before and that always becomes the issue with the time of birth. And my birth name was Jemaine, my mother named me. You know, and my father, who was in the military, he legally changed it to Umar when I was about eight years old, and when he legally changed my name, he misplaced my original birth certificate. So mm-hmm. whenever I get an astrological chart done, yeah. we can this, never pinpoint the time because this,
3: this, this he lost the pinpointed. original birth certificate. <laughs> this
2: brother will pinpoint it for you. So, yeah, uh,
5: but my mom did say it was yeah. early afternoon. It was early afternoon. August yeah, well, 31st, I know
2: this I know that Sagittarius was rising. That gives us about one hour and thirty nine minutes to sift through. Hold right? on, yeah. Hold on, hold on. We're gonna we could plug it in. off air. We don't want to give them too much of that information. You heard? Got gotcha, you, got gotcha, you, got gotcha, you, <laughs> got gotcha, you, got gotcha,
5: you, got gotcha. you, They might use that the other way. Yes, sir. We
2: don't. Yeah, we don't want to do that. So we're gonna um put y'all in contact. You know what I'm saying? Indeed, as always. I, you, know, I think it's an honor to even speak with your brother like this, you know. And um, I know people he knows personally, Sister Mecca, all you know. Uh, um, so it was inevitable that you and I were going to speak one day, bro. I no mean, doubt. you know what? We right here. You're part of the network, Cosmo. So yeah, you've been introduced to many people in our network, Dr. Umar, the brother Cosmo. Yes, very gifted, very talented. So we're going to make the links and everything you know, and put some stuff together. But peace, brother. Indeed, Thank you welcome. demonstration. You're welcome. Indeed. And peace to the brother Rich, too. I ain't not get a chance to acknowledge his presence, man. Peace to that brother. All yeah, right? I I peace. And peace. Legend, Rich, peace. indeed. Yeah. So, peace, okay. Peace. peace, Lord. All right. Caller from the 718-217. Peace and welcome to Know the Ledge. Yo,
6: peace. How y'all doing? All as well. Peace. Peace, family. Um, I wanted to know your thoughts. Um, to to any of the the speakers. Um, on um, creating like a program in New York City, something like what the interrupters are doing in Chicago. I'm, I don't know if y'all heard of them. Like the viol- what they call the violence interrupters. It's a program where they pretty much work with um, you know the 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 violent youth who are gang banging and you know getting yeah. themselves incarcerated. We'll know if you, w- what the thoughts are on, you know, us putting together a program like that and, you know, even documenting it if, if, if they're willing. Well, we have to do it. Uh, I've heard of a program in Chicago. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it,
5: you know, but I support that. Anything that's being done in solidarity and with the sincere, you know, interest of in helping our people, we have to do that. Everything has to be institutionalized and systematized. Everything has to be so. That's definitely something that we're going to have to do. Uh, we don't have a choice. Uh, my Black Boy Manhood in College tour is a step in that direction. I'm also looking at hosting an online political and military science curriculum coming up this fall. Uh, so there's a lot of little things, you know, that I'm working on. That, you know, I don't really speak on anymore. Before I would put everything out there. Now I learned to, you got to hold it back till it's ready, because you got that, you know, those the distractors out there who would misrepresent anything you try to do. So, but uh, yes, we do need to do that. I totally support it. And I'm actually working on my uh, on my end to make some things like that happen.
6: Okay. All right. Yeah. You you think it'll make sense uh for us to organize together and try to make one program or if we just have several programs and I guess unite eventually later on? Yeah,
5: you you, you they can they can be organized separately in the beginning but then ultimately have to be united. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we gotta start standardizing things. We don't standardize anything in the hood. we gotta start standardizing things so they will last. Yeah. Uh, well, after, you know, after our time on earth has ended.
6: Do you think that could also be a program that we could be funded for doing?
5: Uh, Well, for me, from the Pan-African perspective, the funding has to come from black hands. We don't take any money from non-African sources or the government. So when we talk about funding, you know, we believe very, very, very seriously that what must be done for black people must be done by black people.
9: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gee.
2: Respect. Yes, thank you, Carlo.
6: Thank you. Brother.
2: Appreciate the input. Indeed. All right. Can we go with one more? Sure. Sure. Okay. We got another three four seven
3: three six five. Ace. Calling from three the three four. Five. Five.
2: All right, we'll going to go to the 253-592. Peace and welcome to Nodalets. Call us from the two five
0: three
3: five nine
0: two. 592 Peace. Peace.
3: What's peace. going on? Is now it's born. Peace, Lord, now was born. Legend. I just
0: wanted to give you a shout-out. You know what I'm saying? I, I know this has been long awaited. I've been waiting myself. And uh, Dr. Omar, we met in Tacoma the last time he was out here. uh. And you did the lecture at the, the Community Center. Uh, me and YG Preach, we're waiting for yeah. your return. You know what I'm saying? You're going
2: to out to YG uh, Preach.
0: down.
5: And no doubt, and, uh, no doubt. I'm going to get with YG Preach, too, because uh, I'm, I'm starting to plan out my May, my May lecture series for May, because, you know, I'm taking a break this, month and next. But May, I'm going to be back. So I'm going to probably hit him tomorrow. You talk to him first, tell him to hit me, because i got to get back to Seattle, man. It's been like three years for Seattle, so we got to make that happen.
0: But I definitely uh, appreciate uh, the question I had was uh, how necessary is international travel? And uh, if you could share a little bit, I know you've been talking a lot, you know, uh, share a little bit about uh, what you found and how that increased your worldview.
5: I think international travel is very important anyone's political and spiritual education. I think it does help to clarify or disclarify, you know, your your ideological beliefs and position. Um it definitely forces you to even further clarify your ideological positions on things. Um and in terms of getting a world view on the reality that African people face, I don't think there's anything that can help you gain that world view like international travel. You know, that's one of the reasons why I do the trip to Ghana, you know, every year so people can see uh the African reality through another s- form of space and time. See racism through another form of space and time. See black oppression through another form of space and time. So I don't think there's any uh other thing you can do that can help foster a mature worldview than to travel the world. I don't. I don't think there's anything else that right. you can do in, in in place of that.
9: Indeed.
0: Well, I appreciate that, and uh, uh, I hit for each other in a few minutes, and uh, I'll tell them to reach out to you.
2: Appreciate. It. <laughs> yes, right. indeed. Peace, God. Again, shout out to YG Priest. Always on time with those flyers. We appreciate your contribution. Salute oh. out. Very talented, brother. Absolutely. Dang. Shout out to the entire West Coast family. Shout out to Blessed Love. Shout out to Ross Bob and Kim. You know, what I'm Shout out to
5: Ross Bob. Sister Kim, get well. Get well, yeah. get well. Get well,
2: Sister Kim. The whole LA, family. I'll be back out South there Central. Soon. Yes, indeed. Okay. Wait. Can't wait to touch back. LA as well. Mr. Family out there. All right. Yeah, it's when you read. We yes, got a seven oh four yes. in there real quick. Can we take that last call or sure? Alright, we have a seven oh four yeah, yeah. Nine five seven oh four nine five
4: six. Peace. Sure, 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 sure. Best the done greetings to the family. You Dunno.
2: You're done though, room. Um,
4: Umar, you a legend. You a legend, legendary. You know, my brother. You already know it. it's your brother, Jehudi Ali, out of Charlotte. Yeah, man. Big up. Big up, big up, big up. Bless it, bless it, bless it. One love. <laughs> yes, brother. Yo, this is a legendary show. I didn't get to catch it for early, but what I caught it, my dupes. Yo, the people that will ever listen to it, love it, love it, love it, love it. More of them that to come. Umar, you know, you got to be down here again soon, but. Whenever you come off of your world tour, you don't know. So, today did again. You see what I'm saying, Umar? Pills, yes, you already know what time it is, my brother. You see what I'm saying? Legendary, none the most, y'all. is it a mess? Big up to Mama Pill. Big up to A.A. A. Rashid and all the family in the community. is it mess? Yeah. I got my brother to hunt 91 link up with all two, so you already know we're going to make a legendary movie in a minute. You see what I'm saying? Because we brought our movie that we had out. In a few back, bringing that so we have a try link up and get everybody from the full perspective and bring this media thing to where oh, it's supposed to be legendary for real. For real, because that's we, we got enough for we got to do for our people, so we don't need nothing more. We're we, are, we, we is all we got, and that's all we need, really. Isn't that Seth? we put together and we yeah. got it in there? So
5: yeah, now, look, look, already know. about the movies too. Let me know about some my yo. movies y'all be shooting because you know I do a little acting, so if you need that main character, <laughs> I'll jump up in there for you. You, you know already know
0: we we're, we're writing a script as we speak about <laughs> 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 over- yeah. I don't want no I don't want no <laughs> black exploitation.
5: It gotta be revolutionary. I don't want be the I don't wanna be the hood boy selling the crack.
0: <laughs> no, no, hell no. one of the <laughs> Hold on, we're about saying not one of her. Hello,
3: nah,
4: know, nah, nah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want the boys nah, in the you feel me? No, nah, no, nah, it's like you're not going to be pookie I none of them boys. They have an official. You already know. You're going to have the official. Like how they had the Panthers move. We need to do our own version <laughs> of the Panthers. Yes,
0: I'm
3: ready I for that. I'm you ready for me? that. Right. You feel me? love it. Is, give me the script. <laughs> it's a done deal. Give me the script.
2: Nah. It's a done
0: deal. <laughs> See, what? I don't think you know what platform you want tonight. I don't think you know what you just did. It, it's going to be about 100 scripts in your inbox tomorrow. <laughs> My I'm ready for is that. Serious. Let me see those scripts. I got to
5: make sure it fits
3: me. I need to do it at a press conference next year.
0: Like, I'll do lessons
3: ever again. <laughs> 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 Yo, yeah. this our yeah, legendary. We gotta, we gotta include. We gotta
4: let include. You know the Efa. We gotta include the I Ching. Yeah. We gotta include all the Oracle systems. Cause they talking about gods of motherfucking Egypt. Excuse my language, but that bullshit that they got the fucker with them of a show in you know, the movie theaters right now. Bootleg like that all week, I'm at this, they have foolishness, they must show fire. Burn up that. Yeah. You feel me? We need to, re- to really. recreate our own version of God's Egypt because I know they're not telling the true story. Isn't that the first of all? They forgot about our men. Peaceful. And that's the thing. You will already know. We- oh, oh, Omar, I always said, out check. He, he said the whole tep hold, But we know what ho-tep whole, whole is, and we know Umar not disrespect. So, big up the whole tep people. them. Big up the people sir, yes them for sir. real. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So, we ain't disrespecting. Yes. There ain't nobody can disrespect and say, yo, you whole teppers and everything. Umar not disrespecting the whole temple. So, never try to That's make right. it look like that. We already know what That's time right. it is, Stop trying to put right. us against We're our people, man. talking about the frauds
0: in the game. Not the real walk True, exactly. True that. Exactly.
4: Exactly. Yes, I, I.
0: Yes,
3: I yes. Listen. <laughs> listen, you really like, you listen. You already know. Money, Yo, money, you, you already know. We're not going to money talk tomorrow. We're not going to money talk tomorrow. You already know. Legend. I want to see
4: that script. Give <laughs> me the script. Yo, we go, we going to party tomorrow. Oh. We're going link up in the week. I'm going to link you. I'm going to link you. You already know who it is when I link
3: you. Friends Yo, of fire. The- Yo, you
4: already know. Y- y'all niggas in my yeah. heart, man. I love y'all niggas, man. Niggas, oh. kings, y'all yeah. know what it is. Rise up.
2: That's another, yeah, exactly. This is another brother from the network. He has a uh, Destiny Grind. They also do divination and readings with the i Ching, and they've helped us in our journey as well. So everything is all good. Like I said, Omar, we just have to sit down and catch up because it's been a long time since we really, you know, chopped it up. I know you, have you been out there seeing what we out here doing? You know, I'm know I know just seeing some it. of it.
5: You know what I mean? Huh? Like I got my fillers everywhere. I, I'll be seeing a little bit of everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Okay, I just gotta okay. get a little bit more in line with
1: it. I, I, Cause we out there cooking, you know, we stirring pots and all that, you know. So I
9: just no wanna, doubt, no doubt, you
3: know.
9: Cook it up, cook it up.
3: Indeed.
9: Keep that broth. Indeed, vibrant.
3: indeed. So
2: tonight is a special night. Tonight, a, tonight, to go down in history. You know, I'm sure that a lot of the family that's gonna tune into this show and hear about it and listen to the show. They're going to hear a lot of answers and a lot of, you know, clarification and also a lot of wisdom and a lot of growth and maturity, you know, from somebody who has a testimony to a test that they went through and now they have testament. You feel what I'm saying? Because I got tested. I did, We, Me and my brother, we turned 40 this year, you know, and um, a week right after my 40th birthday in the city of Detroit, which is like a mentor, the underworld and my, but a good mentor, you know, cause that's where life takes place in the underworld. You know, I got tested and then a lot of stuff got put on the line. So we all get tested when we're in the eyes of the, you know, it's our ancestors doing spiritual work. It's initiation to get to the next level Anytime the masters were to go to the next level, from video games all the way up, there's a level of initiation taking place. So in our biggest crises, that's where Sophia, that's where wisdom is. That's where that's where the next level is at. So know that that initiation was what brought you from perseverance into this next level, and then you you, you as you continue to ascend, you know. Oh man, that's love. That's very strong. And I want to remind
5: yeah. everybody. Make sure they pour out a little libation Uh, tomorrow. Queen Mother Harriet Tubman, you know, she joined the ancestors on March the 10th of 1913. So tomorrow will be 103 years since Queen Mother Harriet Tubman ascended to the ancestors. So sometime tomorrow, March the 10th, uh, make sure you pour out a little bit of liquor for Queen Mother Harriet
2: Tubman, one of the best to do it. During Indeed. the new moon cycle, Indeed.
4: big up. During the moon moon cycle, big up, big up, big up.
2: Exactly, big up. Everybody do your research on this moon tonight, this eclipse. Biggie Smalls, March 9th, that day goes down in infamy. You dig what I'm saying? That means a lot to a lot of people from where I'm from. And also, Definitely. brothers and sisters around the globe, because we're talking about uh, orator. We're talking about a griot. We're talking about an artist. We're talking about somebody Indeed. who had the power to move people in ways that we haven't seen in a long time, you know? Um, so yeah. definitely, yeah. You know what I mean? Big Papa,
3: right? Big Papa. And you know How it. that?
0: You know it. That? I'll, 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 baby, I'll,
3: I'll, baby. You big liggas. Baby, legacy. baby. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> Papa, somebody who, Prince but look, look, at, look at this, but look at this,
2: somebody who, me, my brother A. A. Rashid used to actually know personally and A. A. Rashid and that brother really got money together in the streets for years. So wow. the separation wow. was none. Uh, the brother on the line could attribute. Th- these are these are people who come we all are from the same village. We all come from the same tribes, the same neighborhoods. We all came up in the same era. So it's like when people see us in consciousness, they're seeing a representation of errors and, 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 and street and, you know, just all kind of stuff. So there's no separation. Like we we had an interview with a brother from Smack DVD where he's he's like, yo, I'm combining a platform. We got to come together. I want to introduce knowledge, which is the last acronym on SMAC stands for knowledge. He says the street knowledge that I'm seeing taking place out here with Dr. Umar. With all of the names, the Sarnetas, the Polites, the Red and Blue, you know, he doesn't know everybody, but he knows that there's a movement taking place, and there's a war going on outside, and there's 44 billion black people on the planet, but there's about 100 of them that are in the, in the front of that race. Remember the race analogy, that we're running, we're in this race, so who's passing the baton, and who's in the front holding the baton? There are a group of people pulling this thing, creating a wave, and that wave is waking up people in ways that the ancestors, the wise, intelligent seers, the prophets, the messengers And all other people Who were able to forecast In mystical ways They spoke about this time So your existence in this time When you when they speak of a Garvey And people are saying Yo, you remind me you Then you are that Garvey spirit now
0: Because everybody is here In this day and age In the now where you have all reincarnated
2: You know So Awesome Yeah. We gonna we you know, we gonna build though. But uh it is what it is, man. Uh, salute to you, brother. I'm gonna let you close out and say what you got to say. Brother Blue Pill line drop. I'm sure that he wanted to add it on, add on, but he said peace and then we will, you know, connect offline and continue this build.
9: We'll do. We'll
5: do. Black family, get with your brother bad. Dr. Umar Johnson. Don't forget every Tuesday morning we got the Black Parent Teleconference. Any questions about your children, any questions about your sons or your daughters education or mental health, you can get those questions answered for free by yours truly. Tuesday morning, six AM to eight AM Eastern Standard Time. We got the Africa Trip, Senegal and Ghana, July twenty sixth to August eleven. Black boy college tour, a North Tour and South Tour, one in June, one in August. And we also got the National Independent Black Parent Association New Chapter Conference. We want everybody there that's going to take place in April. If you need more information, just get with me. You can text me at 215 989 9858. 215 989 9858. You can email me at Dr. Umar Johnson at Yahoo dot com. Send your donations to GoFundMe dot com forward slash Doctor Umar. Again, the site is GoFundMe dot com forward slash Dr Umar or you can mail your check or money order payable to FDMG Academy P O Box six eight seven two Philadelphia PA one nine one three two send your resumes if you like to work at the school resumes can be emailed to FDMG resumes with an s at gmail dot com if you want to follow me on Twitter and Instagram you can do so at Dr Umar Johnson at D R U M A R J O H N S O N and you can follow me on uh, Facebook, I use my Yoruba last name, Ifatunde, which means destiny has returned. So it's Dr. Umar Ifatunde on Facebook, I-F-A-T-U-N-D-E, uh, website, drumarjohnson.com. So please get in contact with me. Stay in touch with me. Hopefully you go to Africa with us this summer. Send your sons with me on a Black Boy College Tour. And I hope to see everybody at the National Independent Black Parent Association Conference. I'm currently planning my tour dates for May and June. May and June. I'm taking a break, March and April. If I've never been to your city, uh and you desire me to come back, please get in contact with me. I'd probably just need you to help me find a venue that can seat about four or five hundred people. You know, the crowds get larger and larger every time. So you can get in contact with me. I know I gotta hit up Seattle. I know I gotta get back to LA, back to South Carolina, Boston is on the map. I gotta hit up Boston, uh Savannah, Georgia. There's a lot of spots I ain't been to I got to hit up. Uh, Dallas, Texas, I got to hit y'all back up. Phoenix, I'm going to hit y'all back up. South Dakota for the first time. Iowa for the first time. So, again, if you got a town with a lot of black folks in it, you think they need that E5 Tune Day experience, please get with me and let me know so we can get it popping. I'll one love to everybody. Keep me in your prayers and keep the race first.
2: Before we go, brother, I got a question to ask you. Sure. When you take that time off from doing the lecture circuit, can you do a um a for dummies book on how to get booked in fifty states in thirty days? <laughs>
0: <'Cause> <laughs> I, I'm saying like I need that shit like I was trying go to Wisconsin and Boise Idaho <laughs> man I just need to text the people out there man. Oh, I'm really man. trying right. to tour man I'm trying to figure this out but we'll oh, talk man. All right. I'm gonna see what I can do man it just comes
5: out the blue right, I'm even be doing man. But
0: I to see what I can it's do on that. See
2: what you can do on that, brother. But it's, it's been so a pleasure. Down, so down. And, uh, we look forward to hearing from you soon. I'm sure we're going to have some good news for the family in the near future. But, um, you know, you know, know the ledgers there. You're riding. You know what I'm saying? You know, the Army, the whole family. So when KTL has got you, everybody got you, the whole New York, the whole Harlem. When's the next time you come to New York, brother?
8: Uh, I got
5: to get back there soon, because when we did the event at uh, uh, the Brooklyn in Christian Brooklyn. Center, yeah, to the United African Movement, it was jam-packed, and we still had like two and a special New York conditions. So that's coming uh, soon. Yeah. New York, I'll be back uh, in a minute.
2: We got an anniversary show. We got an anniversary weekend that we're doing where we're going to highlight uh the headliners and the illuminaries and all kinds. It's going to be something that has never been done before because we believe in the spirit of celebrating. We believe in awards. We believe in, you know, utilizing the fact that we have an industry now, um, adding value to what it is that we've done, recognizing those people in our community, in the public, for their family to see, for their loved ones to see, you know, for people who don't know about them to see, venerating our great ones, venerating the ones who have just made ancestors. You know we need this annually, so we're working on something as we speak, and we uh, we're gonna reach out to you. But we, yeah, let, let's let's definitely talk about that New York thing because the New York is really like they they want to they want to chop it up. You know what I'm saying? No doubt. And see how they come out for you when you had the three kings. That was crazy. It was a no church, doubt. but it turned into a conscious communion. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You know, that's what's up. But I'm going to close this out with a song that I did called Scorpion Kings. I don't know if you heard it, but I know you into hip-hop, so we're it back that guy hop, and uh, no this is going to be a headbang the, vi- the video is crazy. All right, brother?
5: All right, now. Be safe, Phil.
2: No doubt. You too, brother. Peace. Peace. Peace to the family. See you all on Friday.
1: Anthem on the track. Live from the land of snakes. With the same nigga playing your wake, Wanna give your hands a shake Bitch we got bands to make Rubber bands to break Guns and butter That land on lake Got bread Got plans to break the Brooklyn way When Tony killed Manolo Has to look away It's a war going on Starting to look like yay A power one is battle torn Thou should not kill When diamonds is dancing Spending time in the Hamptons Building shrines in these mansions Dance from the Tropic of Cancer, the topic of Tantra, heavy breathing, on top for the mantras, throwing ballast with mandalas encrypted, combine a little scriptures, fuck Twitter, only follow the mystics, the doms, to put hollow in the biscuits, across from the Apollo is the district, I'm in the Nile Valley, Crocodile Valley, the Nays Morris. The greatest story, the haters worry With the poor me, pity parties Got the porta potties for the shit you kickin' The reaction at his best was knee-jerk Pre-pre-put your debut on a t-shirt Niggas co-sign the fuckery These suckers beat Actin' three-fifths of a man co signing Mike Puckerby On the low like how the fucker beat. be none of these niggas ever fuck with me beat My prospect is designed My mind is achatically designed prophet of the time. My pockets is aligned with property for shrines. My grind is Monopoly, my mind with prophecy in mind. I'm in a hideaway, wide awake, listening to chants of roosters, align with the mind of Mansa Musa, enhance the future, wars of the Mansa Future, dabbing in Dubai, we dance the future. With a time to be a scorpion, and